there is no sun left in Maryland, <laughs> and I know I can't whine about it because poor California is dealing with oh so much gosh. worse. But like, I don't want your non-dissipated smoke either. Like, I'm really yeah. sorry all your houses are burning down and like your lives are at risk. But like, I want blue sky back. It is pretty crazy that it has traveled all the way across the country and it's been sitting on top of our state now for multiple days yeah and again this is so entitled to whine oh about my gosh this. absolutely <laughs> but i was just like oh, oh. well i know because my friend she lives in california and she posted a little dot and she was like hey here's where i live and it was just surrounded by forest fires oh I was my like, god oh my god like Sienna, get out of there. Like, what the hell? Like, Time to go. Yeah. Th- like, her particular area, I think, is, like, a little safer because it's closer to the beach. But, right. yeah, it's, like, really scary. So, everyone in California, we are really thinking about you. Yeah. Stay safe. Please stay safe. Um, But neither of the people we're talking about today live in California. No. They don't. <laughs> Not at all. Not even close, I don't actually. I think they've ever even seen a beach. Um, or no, California. They've definitely just seen California. beaches. <laughs> Um, I think they're both European, right? They've yes. definitely seen beaches. Uh, actually, no, my person was born in the little, literal, like, land of beaches. What oh. the fuck am I talking yeah, about? I don't know. Um, anyways, but this is her straight On the rocks. <laughs> with Katie. And Allie. And today we are here to tell you stories of famous women in history. And we talk about good women and bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women from all times and places because women have nuance. Mm-hmm. But just so you know, we're drinking the entire time, as we alluded to earlier. <laughs> and we are not historians. Oh, my gosh, no. <gasps> so we just do some research for a week. We sometimes cram it in one day if we're busy. If we're <laughs> really busy. We do a lot of reading. <laughs> we do a lot of researching. We do a lot of listening. Uh, and so much YouTube watching, which is the best. It when is. You find like a good little documentary on YouTube. That's my favorite. It's really good. I always mm. look for the ones that are between 45 minutes and an hour. Yes. Yeah. Because you're still getting a good bit, but it's not too much. Right. Mm. But anyways. Unlike this podcast, which is Unlike always podcast, too much. It's always too much. Yeah. Um, but Sorry. we refuse to quit. Um, <laughs> because we're too legit. Yeah. <laughs> um, but while you're listening, you are busy. You are planting your tulip bulbs for next spring. And let me tell you, it's too early to do that. So stop that. Uh, I did it. <laughs> <laughs> Did you really? Yeah. Really? <laughs> of course I did. Oh my gosh. I always do it Labor Day them? weekend. The really? backyard. Yeah. Ah, amazing. I've always wanted to plant tulips. I still have tulips that I bought in Amsterdam. Um, I think they might be bad now. <laughs> I don't know what the life shelf of tulips are. Probably. Probably. Here's some. Oh, I, I, I know. I, <laughs> we have on our little podcast table little wooden tulips that I brought back from Amsterdam for, for Allie and the girls. Yeah, but I do definitely think it's supposed to be colder when you plant them, right? Yeah, I think yeah. it's supposed to be like November, December. But yeah. also, I don't know. I'm not Who cares? a horticulturist. <laughs> um, oh, but, but you're doing that. You're, you're busy doing, doing that. that. <laughs> Either way, you're like me. You plant them early. Yeah. But... That means that your hands are tied up. They're dirty. You don't want to touch your phone with your muddy hands. So you can't look up what these women look like. No. So in order to describe them, we're going to get a little physical, physical. Allie, who are you doing? What does she look like? I am doing Clara Schumann. Mm. And she is a white German woman with dark hair that is parted twice. Twice. So it's like she is 
two parts that then come together almost like there's would be like a little pony oh a bump you mean yeah but there's no bump there's no bump it's flat it's just parted twice maybe she should have gotten a bump it yeah do you remember those yeah i do (laughs) (laughs) i do remember those um but anyway and that's in like the most famous portrait of her and then there's another portrait of her like playing the piano where it's like starts as one part and then splits okay. she was big on fancy parts but i could only find them in drawings of her not in like oh. actual photographs so i don't know if she wore it once to like a famous concert and then okay. like it got became drawing anyway not the point the rest of her hair is in a low bun or a low updo there are um a lot of dark colored ruffly traditional dresses you mm-hmm. know but the famous portrait that i was referring to earlier has like an off the shoulder dress kind of like a graduation robe uh-huh. pearl necklace dangly earrings she looks really really cute and i mean that I, that's what she looks like i don't know <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what she looks Perfect. like <laughs> stop planting tulips and look up a damn picture yeah. i can't <laughs> so i am doing nancy wake and I think she looks a lot like Hedy Lamar. Um, she just has like this round face with small round doe eyes. She has these thin curvy eyebrows. Uh, she has full but petite lips and this smile that when she smiles with her teeth, her teeth are kind of curved um, in a weird way. I don't know how to describe hmm. it. Um, and she has a dark curly bob and is typically seen in military clothing um and she is always looking like a bit seductive because that's just what she had to do to make it by i mean she looks like agent carter in my head what's agent carter agent carter is like um captain america's girl linda carter agent carter i don't know what that is i've never heard of that oh yeah she's just (laughs) (laughs) are these in the comic books or no it's also in the in the movies superman no not superman captain america (laughs) Steve Rogers' <laughs> girlfriend was Agent Carter. Oh, okay. That was who um, June was for, for Halloween. Halloween one yes. Year. Yes, I remember that. Okay. Yes. Now that we're all on uh, the same page. Now that we all know. <laughs> I just have never seen the Captain America movies. They're the best ones. Um, You're so really, really missing out. I'm apparently, not lying to apparently. you. Um, Unpopular opinion, <laughs> the Iron Man movies are the worst ones. Oh. <laughs> shots fired seriously okay 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 she looks like a seductress military woman yes seductress military hedy lamar love it that's all mixed together all mixed together one little mixed Mm -hmm. bag okay what am i drinking you are drinking a cocktail called the white mouse so it is two ounces of bourbon an ounce of elderflower liqueur a few dashes of angostura bitters a dash of sugar with a splash of club soda so we got dashes on dashes on splashes tonight um i wanted to make it kind of like an old-fashioned um but i wanted to make a bourbon drink because bourbon uh, whiskey as we'll see is her favorite liquor um and uh, i felt like she is old-fashioned but with that elderflower like beauty so that's the story behind this cocktail cheers I love any recipe that's a dash, a dash, oh, a bit, a dash, a dash, a bit. And a this tastes great. It, mm. it tastes like a fancy old fashioned. It's exactly what you described it as. It's yep. perfect. I love yep. it. I love it, too. And it's like fall now. I mean, I'm wearing a big, chunky sweater and it feels so right. Yeah. To be drinking bourbon in jean shorts, a big, chunky sweater. I I'm mean, here. I'm here for it. I love it. So now that we have our drink. 
I also, I hope I said club soda and not tonic. I meant you club think, soda. I think you said club okay, soda. Okay, fantastic. Um, what do you know about Nancy Wake? So Nancy Wake, uh, her picture comes up. Everybody shares it mm-hmm. in Women's History Month. And I think she was a spy mm-hmm. during World War II. But I don't know anything about her life. I just know the general, like, basic, like, this is what she did. Perfect. Is it a wild ride? It is the wildest ride. I Well, we can compare at the end because my girl yes. had a wild ride, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just going to say my mouth was agape. Um, and I just want to thank Alicia or Alicia Gutierrez. I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly for this amazing request. I had an absolute blast researching her because, I mean, again, my mouth was agape. So I hope yours will be as well when you hear the story of Nancy Wake. And do you know what's interesting about this request? Mm -hmm. She, um, I don't know that she listens to the show, but she follows us and follows our cocktails. Oh, really? And said, at one point in our messenger, I think this woman needs a cocktail. And I was like, we'll put her on the list. And now maybe we'll rope her in. And let me tell you, she has a fantastic cocktail now. Okay. So. We did it. We're on the up and up. Job is done. Everything's coming up. Okay. Herstory. Tell me. I really need to know. <sighs> okay. Nancy Grace Augusta Wake was born on August 30th, 1912 in Wellington, New Zealand. Um, oh, sorry. I also want to do my sources. Um, I got most of this from Biographics YouTube channel and the Fierce Girls podcast and Wikipedia. Um, so she was born in New Zealand, but at the age of two, the family moved to Sydney, Australia. So that's where she spent her childhood. I mean, they always leave New Zealand off the map I anyway. Know. So just I know. bump her over. I feel so bad for New Zealand. I feel like they're like, she was born here. And Australia's like, shut up. She grew up here. <laughs> like, but they filmed Lord of the Rings here. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. <laughs> that's a, that's a, a lie. conspiracy Baloney. theory. <laughs> Uh, she was the youngest of six children, and she had Maori ancestry through her great-grandmother, um, and she was believed to be one of the Ngati Mahanga Iwi, who was reportedly uh, one of the first Maori women to marry a European. So her great-grandmother, Poriwa, was one of the first good, Maori good women, thank you, to marry a <laughs> European. Um, Supposedly. So in Australia, this is happening. Uh, that would probably be in New, New Zealand. Zealand. And then she and her from. family moved to Australia. Yes, okay. then they emigrated to Australia. Got it. Her mother, Ella, was very religious and very strict, always carrying a Bible with her and very swift to discipline the children. Mm. So you are currently watching the center season one of uh, we've talked about relentlessly. I finished season one. You finished season one. I picture her like her mother. Okay. Just very like kneel on that rice because you are bad. Um, and in one instance, she had written like this silly little poem with the word bummy in it. And her mother found the poem, dragged her back to the school by her ear <gasps> where she was like she literally like threw her to like the nuns and was like, use your worst corporal punishment on my daughter. My God. Yeah. That's insane. It's really fucking crazy. Also, it's not the school's job to discipline your kids. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> discipline your own fucking kids, I know. people. <laughs> so Nancy thought it was a bit of an overreaction, but she wasn't surprised. Her mother had very high moral expectations, and she just let you know constantly that she was very disappointed in you. Right. She told Nancy once that she was ugly, and she was ugly because she was sinful, and it was God's way of punishing her. 
Sin is ugly. What the hell? <laughs> like that's what? a really horrible thing to say to your daughter. I think we've told a couple stories on this podcast where the mother had told the daughter that she was ugly, like for a specific reason. It's like, can you calm down? Yeah. Oh, I think one of them was Eleanor Roosevelt. I think yeah, yes, she was absolutely. Just terrible. Don't do that. Um, <laughs> I mean, our listeners would never. Yeah. Wor- um, word of advice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's obviously not hard to see why Nancy spent her whole childhood feeling like her mom hated her. Yeah. Uh, her dad, however, was the complete opposite. He was a journalist who loved Nancy and doted on her, showing her kindness and affection. She would wait for him at the garden gate every day for him to come home. Kind of reminded me of like Cecilia Payne from last week. Yeah, I love that. Um, But unfortunately, one day he just never came home. He just bailed? He just bailed. uh, Poor little Nancy waiting at the garden gate for her father and he just never showed up and she just, I don't know if she ever found out what happened to him. So, I mean, and at this, yeah, I don't know. Like, was he abandoning the family or yes. did he like die or no, he's abandoned. We don't know. We think he abandoned the family, but also like he was a journalist. So maybe he was out on an assignment and he died. I really don't know. Yeah. So when she was 16, she just took a big risk and she ran away from home. She was like, I fucking hate this. I hate my mom. My dad is gone. I don't want to be here anymore. So she gave herself a fake name. She went by the name Shirley Ann Kennedy and proceeded to keep her shit on the down low so her mother could not track her down. Thankfully, when she was 18, though, she was able to resurface as Nancy Wake. And to her surprise, there was a gift waiting for her. So I'm glad she changed her name back because she would not have gotten that mail if she was still Shirley Ann Kennedy. (laughs) So she changed her name back. Yes. Where did this mail come to? Her house? Her... I have... No idea. Okay. I'm guessing she like was still away from her family and like got an apartment and like was like, this is where Nancy Nancy Wake Wake lives. lives. Yeah. Got it. So she has a gift waiting for her. Nancy had a cool aunt who had also been like a black sheep of the family. And she was like, Nancy, I fucking get you, girl. I know what's up. And she gives her $200, which is about $11,000 in today's money for Damn. her 18th birthday. Thanks, auntie. Uh, thanks. That's like the aunt I just aspire to be. Yeah, where's my cool aunt Come handing out $200? <laughs> I'm getting like 15 bucks on my birthday still. Right. Like, get out of here. Come on. Also, thank you for still sending me money. I'm in my <laughs> 30s. <laughs> so Nancy took that money and decided to do what all good girls do and run off to New York City from <laughs> Australia, which New is a big York. leap. Sorry. You're great. Um, and it was really interesting. It was a really interesting time to be in New York city because they were still under prohibition. Nancy said that this was obviously not stopping anyone. She describes people making booze in bathtubs. And she said, I have never consumed so much alcohol in my short life. (laughs) So she just partied in New York city. And then when she was 20 years old, she was done. Um, so she had a hard two years. (laughs) She was just really tuckered out. So she travels to London to become a journalist just like her dad. She kind of, I think, took a few classes, but she mainly taught herself. And Nancy was a real fake it till you make it kind of girl. So when she went for her first job interview at this big London newspaper, the guy was like, well, what do you know about Egypt? And she was like, oh, my gosh. 
so funny you'd ask me about Egypt. I'm fluent in Arabic. <laughs> she would just make that She shit was up. not at all. <laughs> and she he was like, oh, really? Can you write something for me? And she goes, can I? And she just writes in like kind of cursive, extra loopy shorthand just backwards from like right to left. And he goes, that's incredible. You're hired. That's bullshit. It's real <laughs> bullshit. Nancy. You, you can't do that. You can't do that. <laughs> so he says, welcome aboard. Um, she worked there for, for a few years. And also Arabic's like one of the most beautiful written languages. It, it absolutely I mean, is. And she made a mockery of it. <laughs> God damn um, it. <laughs> so she worked there for a few years and then she moves to Paris, which was everything she had ever dreamed of. She even got a little petite puppy named Picon after the <laughs> French aperitif. And oh my she, god, what kind of puppy? A little one. I'm thinking all like I know Elwood Chihuahua. It's like a French Chihuahua, like a little French, probably a Bichon. I'm gonna guess a okay. Bichon named Picou. I love it. Um, or Picon. So <laughs> she's loving it. She loves the stores. She loves the perfume. She loves the fashion. She just loves everything about Paris. So she starts working as a freelance journalist. She's just chasing stories. She's writing articles. Even if only one would be purchased every six months, she's like, that's my rent. That's good enough for me. I'm just having a good fucking time. <laughs> and through her work, she got to know the French bus and train systems, like in the countryside, like the back of her hand. Like she could get around France without needing any kind of map. I love people who can do that. It's like people Ugh, that understand the subway in New I York. Know. I don't I'm get so it. Jealous. It, I like we need to take the O line at four o'clock. And I'm like, the what? You're like, uh is, lead the way. Would is that mind? even a line? Yeah. Is the O <laughs> the Q? I know there's a Q, so I assume there's an O. We have so few subway lines here in Baltimore. They're just red, white, and blue, I think. Uh, um, and they're a metro. <laughs> they're a metro. They're we do terrible. have an abandoned subway, though. Do you know that? We have an abandoned one? We started building a subway underneath Baltimore City a long time ago, and then it was just like, look, we're never going to have enough people or whatever, and ran out of money. So now there's just like empty subway tunnels. <sighs> Baltimore would be so great. If we had a metro system, like an actual subway like one system. that worked, you mean? Yeah, because the only like mm -hmm. we have some kind of metro system, but it's really inconvenient. And then we have the light rail, which literally just takes people from Hunt Valley to Orioles games. And don't forget the circulator, the circulator, <laughs> That's the name oh of the God. free public buses. I love them. Ugh, the circulators are great. A free bus is a good. It's a really positive thing. Uh, also. Let's not call it the circulator. <laughs> yeah. <I get it. laughs> it sounds like a trolley. It's time for the circulator. Um, so anyways, eventually she is called to work in the city of Vienna. She's chasing a story. She goes to Vienna. She had heard rumblings of the Nazi party and Adolf Hitler. Uh oh. So she's like, I'm going to go see it for myself. I want to see what the fuck is up. But she was just frankly unprepared for the atrocities she would witness firsthand. She said the fervor that spread through the crowds when Hitler was there was like just scary. People's eyes would glaze over and their breathing would just like either like stop or just get like slow and heavy. Oh, very cult leadery. Yeah, oh. very cult leadery. And they were just completely mesmerized. She said, as soon as I arrived, I wanted to leave again. She said one day, though, this is the worst thing she saw. She was walking through the town square and the SS had these Jews tied to a giant wheel in the center of town. Oh, no. And they were just whipping them in the middle of the street for everyone to see. 
and people are watching and cheering and Nancy is just horrified because she was like are they criminals and someone was like they're Jews and she said if there's ever something I can do one day I'll do it just like right then and there she was like I want to fight these guys so fucking bad so damn listen Emily Hill's gonna love this story (laughs) yeah (laughs) and this is around 1934 to 35 I think like I couldn't find an exact date but this was like right after the Nazis had really risen to power um but before the war officially broke out so they're precipice exactly so shortly after this in 1936 Nancy moved to Marseille France while she was out and about she would frequently run into this man Henri Fioca, uh, he was the son of a very wealthy industrialist. He was handsome and charming, so much so that Nancy said he was always with a different girl, sometimes three or four in the same day, so she was not interested. But she found him amusing, so they remained friends, and she would just like tease him all the time about his many conquests. Uh, so, of course, a few years later, in 1939, they were married. <laughs> Nothing like harmless banter. I know. And his dad hated her. Really? He hated her. Why? He was like, you have your choice of like literally any woman in the world and you're going to choose this bum bumpkin from Australia. Like what is wrong with you? Sounds like a perfect choice. I know. Um, But that same year, of course, the war was officially declared. Nancy heard the news while on a train from Paris to London and she did not waste Anytime. She literally got off the train, went straight into a recruiting office to sign up for military duty. She's like, hey, I'm here. I'm ready. I'm able. I'm willing to help. I want to help. She's like, yo, I saw this guy and he's fucking insane. Yeah. And uh, she goes, I'll even postpone my wedding. So when the war broke out, she hadn't gotten married yet. She's engaged. So you she, know what this is like. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I feel you. Um, but she's like, I'll postpone my wedding. Whenever the war's over, we'll get married then. And they said, that's so great. Thank you. You can start right away. As a lunch lady in the canteen. Oh, it looks like you could make a ton of stellar PB&Js for the troops. Right. But but she can speak Arabic. And she, <laughs> she's like, I don't think you understand. I can speak Arabic, which is so important in this European war. Um, but no, she's like, you don't understand. I'm a badass bitch who needs to be doing more than serving sandwiches. She's like, I'm bilingual and like no offense to the brave ladies who do this, but like I can do more. And there you go. No, thanks. So she left the recruitment office, went home, went back to Henri. They got married in November, um, on November 30th. And she got married in a black wedding dress with pink trim. No, she did not. Yes. Explain. I don't. Wow. That's all I know. That was a black wedding dress with pink trim. Sarah Jessica Parker, take a note. I know. (laughs) Take a serious note. Where was your pink trim? So that's ballsy. It's really fucking ballsy. In the middle of the 1900s. I know. I know. Wow. Mm. In 1940, Henri joins the French army and Nancy started helping out any way she could. And they're literally millionaires right now. So like he could have really just not gone but he wanted to okay and she wanted to help so they proceeded to buy a shit ton of food they handed it out to families who didn't have much nancy bought a car and learned how to drive it in one day and turned it into a makeshift ambulance and was basically delivering like sick and injured and wounded people to hospitals all over france yeah i've been driving for 20 years and i still can't do it oh my gosh absolutely not (laughs) 
So, um, but it wasn't long before France's president resigned. And by 1942, the Nazis had occupied all of France. So they put this guy, Philippe Piton, in charge of France because they knew that he could, would cooperate. He's just going to go along with whatever the Nazis want to do. Um, and then this guy, Charles de Gaulle, was like, absolutely not. And he forms the infamous French resistance. And to that, Piton formed the anti-resistance pro-Nazi military group, the Milice. So <laughs> lots of groups going on. Lots of groups going on right here in France. Um, so Nancy and Henri were involved from the get go. She was transporting secret messages. She was meeting spies in hotel rooms, like all across France, just getting by as like a wealthy, you know, well-to-do Parisian woman. But she wanted to do more. So she got involved with a man named Ian Garo, who had developed something with a man named Patrick O'Leary called the Pat O'Leary line. So the Pat O'Leary escape line was a kind of like an underground railroad situation where they helped allied soldiers and airmen who were stranded or shot down over occupied Europe evade capture by Nazi Germans to return to Great Britain. So they would keep them fed. They would clothe them. They would give them false identity papers. They would hide them in attics, cellars, people's homes. And they like would just transport them any way that they could um so from there a network of people like from marseille where she lives um, a network of people would escort them to neutral spain and then from spain to great britain so that was kind of like where the line went right and so is the i mean is she ever in this time just because i'm curious is she going to come into contact with coco chanel no Damn it. No, she's not. Because they're both like headquartered in France at this exact moment. I know. But I mean, it's not opposite spoken, sides, kind of. <laughs> <but>, uh, <laughs> um, so she helped prisoners of war and people get through this escape line. Um, she, her house was like a stop on the way. She was delivering food and supplies to everyone she could. Um, she's a conductor. She's she really it. is. Get through. And her, she, what she was best known for at this time, though, was she would get her bicycle she would load it up with secret messages or newspapers from the resistance to distribute them um, among the not terrible French people right now. And she would just like pile like fruit and baguettes up in her little basket. And she'd just ride around France with her little basket and like deliver these secret messages. <laughs> um, but one day she gets a visit from a, a man named Paul Cole. He, she said that he, she came home and he's just already in her house helping himself to her finest whiskey. That is my dream. <laughs> what? To come home and have somebody in my kitchen, like, making something, and me being like, I knew I was meant for greater things. <laughs> <laughs> so he's there, and she's like, excuse me, like, that's my fucking whiskey. Right. And she loves her whiskey. And he had also locked Picon, her dog, away. He was like, get this dog out of here. And she was not having any of this. He was like, I just want to talk to you about some resistance stuff. And she goes, I don't know what you're talking about. You need to get the fuck out of my house. And he goes, no, like, I, I'm part of the French resistance. Like, I'm here to help you. You know, I need you to, you know, da 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 And she is just, like, playing dumb. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, but I do know that you're on my private property, so you need to leave immediately. Like, no, sir. Yeah. And she just 
knew that he was not to be trusted. So she goes to Ian Garo and she goes, hey, this guy, Paul Cole, is at my house and I really don't trust him. And I don't think you should either have a bad feeling. Mm. And he was like, Paul Cole? No way. He's the best. I love him. Like, he's not a traitor. Uh, Is he a Benedict Arnold? Shortly thereafter, Mm. Cole did indeed reveal himself to be a Gestapo agent undercover. He rattled out 50 members of the French resistance who were then arrested, tortured, and ultimately killed. That's bullshit. So she would have been one of them. If she, she would had, have been. If, if she, she had trusted him. If she had not trusted her instincts and her instincts get her through everything. She's like, I got feelings. It's incredible. She it. just has feelings about people and she trusts herself. Mm. So even though she warned Garo, she told him and he didn't believe her. She didn't rub it in his face. But she, in fact, helped him bust out of prison. How could she not rub it in his face? I don't know, because she's the best. I literally, every time I hear a train, I still say it. I know. I can't. Uh, a train? Remember I told you that Jake said, you get, producer said, you can't hear trains from our house. And I was like, yes, you can. You absolutely can. Yeah, but I grew up in Baltimore City, and I was like, man, at night, I remember in the summer, the windows would be open and you'd hear the trains. And I used to have this nightmare about, like, a ghost train. And he's like, you can't hear trains from your house and I was like yes I can <laughs> so now like every time I hear a train I'm like it's a fucking train <laughs> <laughs> producer goes I don't hear anything <laughs> it's a fucking train <laughs> every time and that's what she should have done she should have she, she should have should have been like he's a bad guy anytime she meets a bad person see that guy <laughs> real Paul Cole <laughs> you can see this Hitler he's real yeah. Paul Cole <laughs> <laughs> so uh, her and some other women smuggle a Nazi uniform into his prison cell and they help him get out of jail. So he just walks out with his Nazi uniform on and, uh, yeah, goes out over the mountains and safely along the O'Leary line. Classic. Classic. Classic escape. The Gestapo starts to see a pattern, though. <laughs> They're like, there's this beautiful little woman who keeps fucking us over and evading <laughs> capture because all they knew all people would say was they were like yeah it was just like really pretty like young woman and they kept getting the same story they're like i think this is the same fucking woman and the reason she was so good at evading capture was because she was so good at reading people's character she literally had like a sixth sense for who was a nazi and who was not so because they didn't quite know who this woman was, they just called her the White Mouse, which is why our cocktails named this. And by 1943, she was the most wanted criminal on the Gestapo's list. And there was a $5 million reward for her capture. The most wanted? The most wanted. The most wanted. Number one on the list. She's Number one, America's yeah. most wanted. I yep. love it. I mm, mean, French is most wanted. French is most wanted. <laughs> <laughs> so she's like, okay, well, there's a $5 million bounty on my head. Maybe it's time to boot scoot and boogie. Or maybe so, I turn myself <laughs> in and collect the ooh, money. There you go. And then escape. <laughs> <laughs> so she makes the difficult decision to leave Henri in France because it would just be too suspicious for them to leave together. So she heads out. And for three months, she's basically trained and bus hopping all over France to avoid capture. She's smuggling messages all along the way. And she knows the line so well that she just kind of keeps narrowly avoiding the Gestapo. But on one of these trains, 
she was caught and thrown into jail. No. I know. She's brutally interrogated for four days. And uh, suddenly this guy comes in and he's like, I am so sorry. You have my girlfriend. We got lost. Like, I didn't know where she was. Thank you for finding her. It's Patrick O'Leary. Oh, welcome he, back. He, she doesn't meet someone at a checkpoint. And he's like, fuck, I think she got captured. So he goes into jail, puts on this big performance and is like, I'm so happy you found her. Oh, I was so worried. He totally pulls an Aladdin. When he finds Jasmine mm-hmm. in my the sister, market. my sister is crazy. Exactly. And then she starts, she plays along real well. Talking to that camel. Oh. Mwah. An Chef's actress. Kiss. Chef's kiss for Jasmine. <laughs> um, so Patrick O'Leary shows up and they're like, okay, this makes sense. And they just let them go. <laughs> and Who then, is in charge of these people? I don't know. Screw your brain on straight. I mean, I don't want them to die. I, I know. I don't want to either. But uh, but yeah, these are bad, like stupid, stupid. Like these are like Indiana Jones movie Nazis. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Where it's like, how could you be so dumb? They didn't watch the video that you have to watch at the beginning. The training. Yeah, video. they didn't watch the Nazi training video. Right. Which number Clearly. one rule of being a Nazi is don't trust anything anyone says ever. And don't let people go ever. Exactly. Not even once. So. Pat is like, okay, we need to be a little extra sneaky with you now. So he puts her on the Pat O'Leary line. She's traveling through. But at one point, she's almost caught again. She's literally on a moving train that was being raided by Nazis. And she's she, going back through the cars? Yeah. she go, She's going back through the cars. She's at the end. She puts a window down, jumps off of the moving train, Rolls down the hill again, like an Indiana Jones movie. And the Nazis have their guns pointed out the train and they're shooting at her while she's rolling down a hill. I, she wh- jumped out of a moving train, this woman. Why? To because, stay alive. Yeah, to stay yeah. alive. I mean, I just, I can't. I just. It's, that's why. That's a scene from a movie. That I know. sounds like a scene from a movie. It's insane. I mean, that's why they put it in movies because yep. people actually did it. Because they did. People do stuff like that. So she gets out and she is like, okay, I have to lay low because they're going to be looking for me. And she finds a pigsty and just stays there for days. Like Dorothy. Exactly. Um, so she hides in a pigsty um, <laughs> until it was safe to travel again. So Where she, did she hide? Say it again. A pigsty. <laughs> and then she finally leaves. But by the time she gets out of it, she has horrible scabies. But she's ultimately unharmed. Thank God. Scabies and gross me out. I don't even want to think about it. I can't. Not the people that have scabies. Scabies no, in general. The, the disease. Um, so she gets out of the pig pen. She goes onto a road. And this truck driver notices her. And... Uh, this must have inspired the scene from 101 Dalmatians. He smuggles her under a bunch of like coal bags and takes her like across the line. Did she cover herself in soot? Apparently. To cover up her polka dots? Apparently. Okay. Um, okay. So <laughs> it's a Labrador. So Nobody <laughs> looks at a Dalmatian with soot on and thinks it's a Labrador. We'll all be Labradors. <laughs> We'll have a Dalmatian plantation. <laughs> our Listen, Roger. Calm down, Roger. I, God, I love that movie. <laughs> it's so good. If I were to live in any Disney movie, you know, like just the animation, the feel of it, I would live in that movie. I 100% agree that that's your choice. <laughs> <laughs> what would yours be?
be? Honestly, what would your what Disney movie would you want to live in? If I was going to live, live in a legit, does it have to be a Disney? Pr- oh no, it doesn't have to be a Disney. No, any movie. Disney movie. I don't care if it's Chicken Little. That's <laughs> not Chicken Little. <laughs> Okay, I think I might live in I I would live in the Little Mermaid. I'd live in Ooh, Denmark. I'd love a, a sea ki- I'd love a sea kingdom. Yes, a sea kingdom. Mm-hmm. But I also don't want to marry a man that makes me change everything about myself and then eats my friends in the castle. Yeah. You know who loves each other for who they are? Kristoff and Anna. <laughs> Pongo and Perdita. Okay, that's true. Um, okay. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Uh, yeah, that's my favorite. I'm I just, need to die. I'm just going to say it. That's my favorite Disney movie. It's the one I watch most frequently. It's the honestly. only actual Disney villain that is like as bad as Dolores Umbridge. <laughs> yeah. She like is literally trying to kill baby puppies. Yeah. And steals them from a human's house. A yeah. friend. A friend. A friend. School friend. And puts, <laughs> and puts her cigarette out on Roger's uh, outfit. Ah. Uh. <laughs> And a cupcake at one point. A monster. Mm. Um, okay. Twilight Bark. Okay, right. go ahead. <laughs> Sergeant Tibbs. Sergeant Say Tibbs. More <laughs> Say more things. <laughs> <laughs> also, best villain song. Okay, uh, done. Go. Very true. Okay. So. <laughs> she's safely back in the UK. And she finds out that Winston Churchill has this program called the SOE the special operations executive and she's like absolutely I want in so it's basically this organization that plans to gather all of the escaped French resistance people and organize them to help defeat the Germans kind of from the inside out of France because right now there is a French resistance movement that does like guerrilla warfare in the middle of the forest but they're super unorganized so they're doing good work but they could be killing a lot more Nazis than they actually are step it up the British are like we can help them and then if we just put some time and energy into helping them we can get them organized and send in supplies and more weapons and actually like they can get shit done. Cool. So she gets accepted into this program and they're also planning D-Day, mind you. So they're planning D-Day. They're planning on rescuing everybody in France, but they need the Nazis to be a little more dead. Listen, we ha- they have a lot to do. They have a lot to do. Their to-do list is really long. It's unbelievable. Um, so Nancy gets shipped off to Scotland to go to spy school spy school spy school. is that like clown college yes but dangerous but for spy uh, i'm just kidding clown college is probably really dangerous <laughs> yeah the new carmen san diego series has her in like a spy school Ooh, it's real good i love it netflix okay um training was absolutely brutal the first phase is endurance so there were physical exercises day and night and most people didn't make it past the first 24 hours. Oh, this is like Ann Daniels. Mm-hmm. Okay. But Nancy was a natural. She learned combat, silent killing, weaponry, Morse code, how to dismantle a German tank, and just loads of other cool shit. She knows how to handle bazookas, grenades, any type of gun you throw at her, and also how to make a bomb out of, like, nothing. She's basically MacGyver now. So she also was really trained specifically in how to kill Nazis with her bare hands. So she practiced karate chops for hours on end on a wooden desk because one swift chop to the neck 
was enough to kill a Nazi. So she was like, that's what I got to do. She could kill somebody with her bare hands. And she did, honey. She karate chopped a Nazi, kicked him in the balls and killed him. Well, she should have kicked him in the balls first. Maybe she did. Maybe I got the order mixed up Mm. because I think he definitely felt it. So I just want everyone to know that Nancy Wake karate chopped a Nazi to death. (laughs) I karate chopped a cake once. (laughs) (laughs) Ah! And she's the most perfect person. I that is. Wow. Come on. The respect you have for somebody who can karate chop a Nazi is through the roof. It's through the roof. Now, if you could come and visit our president, that would (laughs) (laughs) Nancy, where are you? We need you. She's dead. She is. It's a shame. Um, But not that long ago. No, just 2011. Yeah, okay. So that's when my daughter was born. (laughs) My daughter's Nancy Wakes reincarnated. She's her avatar. There we go. Um, So, once she was good and ready, it was time to go back to France to help the guerrilla French resistance fighters. Um, They were called the Maquis, by the way. Ooh, cute. Um, She... Everything sounds good in French. It really does. God damn it. So, she gets on a plane. She parachutes into the forest of France. No, she didn't. Wearing a long camel coat, high heels, and lipstick. You're kidding me. I'm not, Allie. Would I ever kid you on this podcast? I mean, pretty regularly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I cannot believe that. High heels, long coat. Oh, my gosh. I'm, I know. I'm, I'm sweaty. I know. This is great. It's the best. So. Did they play music? In. Did she have the music mu- playing? I Coming down. <laughs> if she doesn't scare you, no Nazi will. <laughs> she karate chops them in the neck. <laughs> oh, Nancy. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Okay, she parachutes in. She parachutes in. And the Maki just did not know what to make of this posh woman coming in like Mary fucking Poppins, just descending <laughs> from the sky into their camp. And of course, their first instinct is like, how are you going to help us? I can karate chop she Nazis. Goes, I, what do you, I just did the whole thing. You don't, uh, what, how am I not going to help you? I just parachuted in high heels. <laughs> and basically... She knew. She was like, it's my job to get these guys to trust the British Army. Okay. She goes, I'm like the go-between. I'm here to let you know that we're here. We're here for you. And we're going to make things good. They're super skeptical. (laughs) But. They're like, they sent her? (laughs) They sent her. So she goes, you want to see what I can do? She calls the radio guy. His name is Dennis. He's great. But he will. No, he doesn't die. He almost dies. Mm. So he calls Dennis. And she's like, bring the supplies. He sends down all these supplies from the sky. We have. It's like the Hunger Games. Yeah, exactly. So they send down like a ton of food and stuff and all these weapons. And but there's a special package for Nancy with a few simple requests. She requested silk stockings, makeup, tea, and a few bottles of her favorite whiskey. So. In order to get these guys on board, she said, well, let's have a good old-fashioned prairie drink-off. And her and the soldiers just drink all this whiskey, and they just are up till dawn having a big old party. 
And they're like, Nancy's the best. She's reliving her New York City days. She really is. So I can like, drink you guys under like, the table. Bitch, I drank a whole bathtub full of gin. <laughs> full of I gin. I can that do was this. Made during prohibition, <laughs> which means I should be blind. I'm, <laughs> I'm filled to the brim with moonshine. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> so <laughs> they're like, okay, you're cool. And then. She's like, all right, well, now it's time to get down to business. Here are these weapons, and I'm going to teach you how to fucking use them. So then she starts training all these guys on how to use, like, bazookas and guns and grenades, and she's teaching them. I want to make that clear. It's so fucking cool. So they're doing that. They're going out to the woods on these missions. They're killing Nazis. They are just the most, like, badass little group of all time. I love them. But one day, radio radio guy Dennis gets caught in the crossfire of some Nazi planes. No, radio guy. And he gets nervous because he's like, if I get caught, I have the radio. I have all of our codes. They're going to be able to like they'll break down the whole thing. They'll break down the whole system. So he burns it all in his plane. He thankfully escapes, but then they don't have a radio. They don't have any of their codes. So now they're just a bunch of people stranded in the woods of France. They have no way to contact people to be like, here's where I am. Send more supplies. But they also know Arabic. Yeah, she knows Arabic. <laughs> so that will help her. Not at all. She'll be fine. Um, because she also she's doesn't speak it. Strand- <laughs> she's stranded in France and knows fake Arabic. So she says, okay, I know that there is a station with a radio that we can access for the resistance. But it's pretty far. This is some Jurassic Park shit. It really is. They're going to walk through danger zone. She's like, I don't know what to do because if we don't get supplies, we're all going to die. And this is like a couple thousand people, mind you, that are like in these camps that are now out of supplies. I was picturing like 30 dudes. No. Okay. And she's like, all right, if we don't get that, we're going to die. If we go on any major roads, we're going to die. If we take a car to this other area of France, like we're going to die. Like the Nazis will capture us. Strap it up. Time to hike. Nancy goes, I got this. She finds a bicycle with a basket. (laughs) She fills the basket up with bread and fruit and baguettes and cheese. Bitch needs a wig. Uh, I know she gets her classic. I think she actually did wear like Chanel lipstick or something like that. And she puts on her lipstick, does her hair, puts on her best dress, Gets on her bicycle and bikes 150 miles to this radio. Nothing cuter than a girl in a sundress on a bicycle. Come on. Literally nothing. Bikes 150 miles. It takes her three days. And she is biking. That's really impressive. 150 miles in three days is super impressive. That's from about here to New York. Yep. Not going to do it. Nope. So the only time she stopped were to refresh her makeup. So she would retain her pampered housewife look. And when the Nazis would stop her, because she had to stop by a lot of checkpoints, the Nazis would stop her. She would bat her eyes and say, oh, bonjour, officer. Would you like to search me? And of course, it worked every fucking time. (laughs) (laughs) Men are so stupid. Men are dumb. Um, And again, she knew the major roads so well in France that she was able to navigate herself without getting lost, because that's another way you could look really fucking suspicious as if, you're like, back ah, and forth. here's me and my baguette, and I'm lost, and I don't know where I'm going. Because they'd be like, you're coming home from the grocery store. Why don't you, wh- how are you lost? Right. This should be autopilot, my girl. Yeah. 
So she finally reaches the chateau with the radio. And in the coolest way possible, she breezed in and said, I am the white mouse and I need to use your radio. Damn. Damn. She dropped it. Dropped it just like she did in the parachute. (laughs) So she uses the radio. She's like, here's where we are. We need a new radio delivered. Deliver it now. So she gets the radio, gets the codes back, bikes back (laughs) to the soldiers. Somebody give her a fucking ride. Give her a plane ride. She can re-parachute. I know. Like over 300 miles. And Nancy was super fucking tough. But when she got back, she was like, I will never ride a bicycle again in my life. I bet she slept for three days. I bet. And so they get the supplies back. They continue killing Nazis. And at some point, Nancy famously says, well, if you ask me, the only good Nazi is a dead one. I mean, classic quote. Classic. Classic. If there's not a better uh, thing you could say. If I know. The, if the video pans to you in an action movie, that's your line. That's your line. To say it. So, thankfully, eventually, the war was won. It was over. Nancy is showered with awards and honors. She's awarded the George Medal from the UK, the United States Medal of Freedom, Badge of Gold from New Zealand, the Order of Australia. Everybody wants to claim her. I know. So much claim. The Malde de la Résistance and the Croix de Guerre. But... Nancy ends up leaving the war a devastated woman because while she was off fighting in the middle of the woods, Henri had been captured by the Gestapo. (gasps) They interrogate him for hours about who the white mouse was. And they told him, they're like, just tell us it's Nancy. Just tell us it's Nancy. Tell us where she is and you'll go free. And he refused. And he was killed by firing squad. No. Oh, that's horrible. But Nancy wasn't completely surprised. I told you she had a crazy intuition. And while she was in the woods, she had a nightmare of her sweet Henri getting killed by a firing squad. She hoped that just that one time her intuition was off, but it was dead on. And he was killed the day day she had that nightmare do you believe that shit that people are that connected not just hers but like in general that people are that connected yes okay i really do honestly i think that i think that everyone has i know this sounds lame but like i think everyone has a sixth sense for those type of things but i think that some people's are sharper than others i just do yeah no i don't disagree with you remember when ellen used to have dreams about me yes and we were just like, we weren't even that close of friends. Yeah. She just like had a sixth sense for me. I think some people are just like tuned in. I literally think people, some people are just tuned into a different frequency than others. And I think it allows them to access those weird things because everyone has an intuition. You know what I'm saying? And some people choose not to use it or yeah. listen to it. Exactly. And then you push it down long enough and then. And then it goes. Yeah. But, but yeah, I truly believe that she just had an insane intuition. Um. But Nancy decided that after Henri was dead, there was just nothing left for her in France. So she moved to London. She joins the air ministry and she does intelligence work for them for like many years. Wow. She kind of bobs back and forth between Australia and the UK, um, eventually marrying a man named John Forward, who was very understanding of Nancy keeping a portrait of Henri on her bedside table. That's really nice of him. She wrote a book about her time as a spy called The White Mouse in 1985. Um, But in 1997, she lost yet another husband when John died. 
After he died, she moved into a hotel room in London by Piccadilly Circle, where she befriended a sweet bartender named Louis, who would make her bloody good gin and tonics. <laughs> oh, not not old fashioned. Not old fashioned. Come on. But I think in her older years, she was like gin and tonic. That's it. Okay. She knew what she wanted. She knew. I think also like whiskey was something she drank with Henri. Mm. So I kind of wonder if it like she was done with it. I think. Yeah. And also like. I don't know. I think it kind of just reminded her of bad times. Um, so after celebrating her 90th birthday at the hotel, she moved one last time into a home for aging servicemen and women. And when she left the hotel after being there for years, they said for the great Nancy Wake, no charge. You're kidding me. No. That gave me chills. That's I know. so sweet. I know. I mean, that's what I understand what happened. Yeah. I could also be wrong, but that's kind it of. It sounds like a better story. Tell it that yeah, way. Yeah, I'll tell. I'm sorry. Tell I shouldn't even way. said that. Tell it that way. <laughs> For Nancy Wake, no charge. Okay, good. Rewritten history. Rewrite, rewriting it. Um, <laughs> on August 7th, 2011, Nancy died from a chest infection at the age of 98. Did you say August 11th? August 7th. Did I? August 7th, August 2011. 7th. August so, 7th. I mean, her spirit may have hung out in outer space for I think it did. eight days. And now she's Eliza. Absolutely. Eliza. Uh, her ashes were scattered upon her request in the village of Vamey in central France. She is remembered as a just kick-ass woman who not only kept her makeup intact, but killed Nazis with her, ba- her bare hands. And a woman whose only regret in life was not killing more Nazis than she did. And that's the story of Nancy Wake. Nance, listen. Listen. Thank you. Good job. I wish you had karate chopped Hitler. I understand why that wasn't an option. But really nice work. Nice work. Thank you, um, Alicia, Alicia Gutierrez, for recommending her. That was so much fun. I hope I did her justice for you because um, I am now obsessed with her. She is a famous fancy fun lady. Yeah. So that's it. Are you ready for more alcohol? I'm ready for more alcohol. Let's do Let's it. Let's do it. We'll be right back. So we're back with two new drinks. Very fall drinks. They're super fall drinks, but it's actually like a take on like a German cocktail. <gasps> really? So, um, listen, I got real official. Okay. They usually me. put like time and shit in it, but whatever. Okay. So the cocktail is called a note of love. Mm. A note can be music note or written note, and we'll see why as I we go. Double entendre. <laughs> uh, but uh, the drink is obviously for Clara Schumann, and it is. Apple cider and cinnamon whiskey Mm. shaken together. And then you dump that in a glass and you put like cinnamon, not full on cinnamon sugar around the rim, cinnamon with a little bit of sugar. Okay. So it is mostly like the consistency of cinnamon around the top. And then you pour that in a glass and you top it with sparkling wine. I'm so excited. Cheers. Cheers. Now, Mm. do you love it? I mean, it's like even better sparkling cider because it's actually boozy. Yeah. It's so good. It's what I want, like, apple, like, like um, what do you call it? Uh, cider beers. What are they called? Yeah, I know exactly like what angry you're talking orchards. about. Yeah, yeah. This is like what I want them to taste like. Yes, and this is, it's fun because the cinnamon slash sugar on the side of the glass enhances the cinnamon whiskey. Yes. 
without like overdoing it. And then the apple cider makes it super full. And then the sparkling wine is just so you have enough to fill the glass. (laughs) Also, who doesn't love sparkling wine in any cocktail? (laughs) It really is the best. Mm. Now they serve it in Germany on the rocks with thyme in it. And I was like, no, I'm just going to do it this way. I'm not going to steal a cocktail. I love it straight up like a punch. Perfect. What do you know about Clara Schumann? I mean, I know that she was a pianist, I think, Mm -hmm. and a composer, and she was German, and that's basically it. I don't know anything else about her. Yeah, I am. So it's funny. So Miss Krista, our newest Patreon, our like official cocktail trier, like the most wonderful woman Um, ever. Also, she told us we definitely have to watch Beaches, and she said, grab a box of tissues, I told you. (laughs) I told you. Did I not? I used to watch Beaches on Carrie's bed in (laughs) Hamilton. (laughs) Like Hamilton, the street, the area, not the the Alexander. And (laughs) no, I say I say Hamilton a lot on this show. And I wanted to be clear. It's an area in Baltimore. It is an area in Baltimore where it's like the northeast city. Yes. um, Where I just moved back to home sweet home back in the 21214. Listen, what is it like? (sighs) It's incredible. I, I'm really proud I'm for not you. I'm going happy to for lie. You. Being back home is amazing, especially because now I live on the west side of Harford Road. So I'm in West Hamilton, which is a little different. Um, there were some chickens running around. Did I tell you this? You did. There's lots of chickens everywhere these days. People love a chicken. I literally was driving and I just saw a bunch of chickens running around the road. Which means the answer to that riddle, why did the chicken cross the road, was to piss off the neighbors because mm. people were stealing their arms. eggs, stealing their eggs up in arms. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I called Paige immediately and she said, well, what kind of chicken? And I said, well, your traditional chicken. I said, did you check the next door app? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They'll be there. So anyways, Hamilton has changed a bit, <laughs> but it's just Hamilton with chickens. Um, so where are we? I'm sorry. Um, we're, we're going to go back to Germany instead of Hamilton. Okay, perfect. We're in Germany where my ancestors are from. Yes. Love it. We're going home, 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 home. double home, not just Catonsville, <laughs> double entendre, double home, <laughs> double home. Okay. So we're now in Germany, but this is not the 1900s Germany. We're in 1800s Germany, 1819 in September is when Clara was born. Also, I want to point out, I have an awesome fucking niece who is my spirit animal who is named Clara. She's the best. She's great. She's a really good kid. Good kid. Just good kid. Good kid. (laughs) Really great sense of humor for a child. Super funny. Mm. She doesn't get it from my brother. So Mm, definitely not. (laughs) She Um. gets it from me. (laughs) Psych. I'm not that funny. She's funnier than me. Lateral move. (laughs) <laughs> she is born in Germany in 1819. Sorry in advance, Miss Krista. Okay. <laughs> Her dad is Friedrich Wieck, and he had gone to school to study theology, like my dream job, but ended up making his career in music. And he created an instrumental rental store and like had a music lending library, and he like taught piano on the side. Her mom was Marian or Moraine, I think. But a lot of people say it Marianne, but it's much more German. Moraine started as a student of Friedrich's, but she also was a famous 
opera singer who performed weekly soprano solos in the early 1800s and then they get married okay in 1816 so she's got a piano teacher dad and an opera singer mom oh my gosh she's just born for the stage she's set up for it born for the orchestra it's the time (laughs) uh her mom's an incredible woman she has a job which is weird for back then Mm -hmm. she does all the housework all the while she was pregnant for with five children in, in the course of eight years So she was pregnant or breastfeeding for a a total of a million months. Her firstborn child is a boy born in 1817, but that baby dies the next year. So it doesn't survive infancy, which I'm sure is tragic at any time. But when it's your first child, it's like, I'm sure it's just like now you're left with nothing. And that's like horrific. Um, And then her second child was Clara Mm. in 1819. And Maureen had three more children between 1821 and 1824 but her parents clara's parents could not stop fighting no her dad is the most super controlling crazy man in the world i know he and you're gonna like during the story be like this guy is fucked uh so friedrich's a piece of shit bags um (laughs) (laughs) the mom ends up cheating on him with his friend low you know move what? low move but he low deserved move, but it good honor yeah he deserved it so then she moves out and they go to get divorced but the thing is back then you didn't get your kids so the dad took custody of the three boys and she was allowed to have clara until her fifth birthday and that was it oh my god so Clara moved back in with her super controlling crazy dad four days after her fifth birthday. Her mom eventually remarried to the man that she cheated with and was able to visit with her children now and again. And then they moved to Berlin and pretty much her relationship with her mom is just letters and occasional gifts like at that point. So from five years old on no mom who like she, you know, they had a fundamental like mother daughter relationship at the beginning of her life. So apparently Clara didn't speak a lot before she was four years old to the point where people thought she may be deaf. Some sources said she didn't speak a single word at all. And some sources said she was just slow to speak, Um, which isn't surprising considering the anger in the house where she grew up. Like she was probably like shutting herself off as everybody was screaming at each other. And, you know, to prove she wasn't deaf, her mom had taught her short ditties on the piano that she could, like, play by ear. And it was like she could, like, figure out the notes very, very young. She's definitely a prodigy. Mm-hmm. So after Clara moves home, though, she's too young to understand hard feelings towards her dad. So they have a great relationship, at least to start. <laughs> and he made sure that she got the best musical education. He, like, doted on her. But he's also very controlling and had her entire life planned out to the smallest detail. Mm. What you're going to do, what you're going to eat, what you're going to say, what songs you're going to play. Like crazy like uh, Queen Victoria shit planned out. Like the way that they would make her hold hands to walk down the steps and shit. Like real wild. So she got piano lessons from her dad for an hour a day. But then she also took, besides piano, violin, singing, harmony, counterpoint, music theory, and composition with the best teachers in Leipzig and Dresden and Berlin. 
She was also made to practice two hours a day. So besides her lessons, then she had to sit and practice for an additional two hours. Her father acted as her manager until she was 19 years old. He was a bonkers stage dad. Oh, my God. Like a like a Jackson-type stage dad. Jackson? What like do you mean? The Jacksons. Michael Oh, Jackson. the Jackson <laughs> 5, yes. Mm-hmm. I don't like this guy at all. I no. think he's a bad egg. He keeps getting worse. <laughs> he's not a good fella. <laughs> I just keep every time I say bad egg, I think of it in a New Zealand accent. Mm. Um, do you have a proficient New Zealand accent? <laughs> I do not. <laughs> I wish he's a bad egg. Oh, I think pro- I can do a fairly decent Australian accent. Um, I can do no accents. <laughs> really? Really? None. Maybe Southern Belle, like. <laughs> Ah, do it <laughs> no i could do like if you're leaving the uh grocery store in the south I'm like god bless you honey <laughs> that's the only one i have that's it that's my only accent i think i'm only like decent at like australian new zealand accent because i watched so much flight of the concords oh my god yeah when i was younger and i fucking love that i want show. some cockney i wish i was good at cockney he said he maybe did <laughs> he maybe did what no, he maybe did. <laughs> so good. Anyways, this is um, this is real life. I I honestly I probably should have showed off some of my some of my accent chops during my story, but I was too afraid. No, you did a nice job. I, I liked your afraid. one French girl on the bike accent. Thank you. That was really good. It was it, it really painted the picture for me. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So uh, Clara uh, may have had a great musical education, but she didn't really go to actual school. <laughs> uh, they had uh, welcome aboard <laughs> to not real school. Oh, and listen to this. She only studied religion. I love it. <laughs> in school. And she really only went for less than two years, like and for like a b- half of a day or something. Uh, soul sisters. Right. But because of that, she was uh, super fucking isolated because she was the only one that was like that. And like she did didn't have other children which is what her dad wanted because he was like super controlling and obsessed with his daughter in like the weirdest way so when Clara was eight her father made her start a diary that was supposed to be a teaching and communicating tool but really it was a control tool because he read every single entry and he wrote entries in Clara's perspective and then signed them as clara what the like he was putting himself in her brain writing entries in the diary like he's writing from clara's first person and signing them what what does that mean what is he doing this guy's a lunatic is he trying to convince her that something happened or is he trying to convince himself he's her i think he's trying to fuck with her brain because He's mo- he, what is it gaslighting? I think he's gaslighting her being like, no, this happened. Why would it be in your diary if it didn't happen? And she's like, oh, my God, I think I'm crazy. And he goes, yeah, yeah, you might be crazy. Yeah, you might be crazy. I cannot imagine having a parent read every page of my diary and then also write entries for me. Yeah. Super creepy. That's unbelievable i hate this okay i hate this story friedrich is a dick Mm. so from letters that he eventually wrote to his second wife we found out that friedrich saw clara's career as like his own career and he's like living vicariously through her it's the definition of a stage parent yeah like i couldn't do it 
so and also I'm because make you do it. because he's so controlling it's like he's a stage parent but she also has stockholm syndrome you know what mm. i mean it's like a double problem happening like no papa's doing this because he loves me and yeah it's like he wants me to be successful. Yeah. And she's just like a little kid. Oh my so God. he definitely took an unhealthy amount of pride in her performances, totally losing himself in them. And he would even make her like copy letters in her own handwriting. And he would send them to like his associates where she would be like demanding more fees as if she wrote it. But he wrote it and then he would have her pen it. Ugh. It's very icky. So... Claire's official musical debut happened in 1828 at the age of nine. She performed a lot that year at different halls around Germany. Nine years old. Nine years old. Oh, my. I thought she was like a teenager when this was happening. She is like the greatest piano player in Germany. Oh, my God. Nancy Wake karate chopped my heart into pieces. She should have been born 100 years earlier and karate chopped her fucking dad. Absolutely. God, Nancy, where were you? She was just in somebody else's body. She hadn't been reincarnated. (laughs) (laughs) So during this year, she met another young, gifted pianist named Robert Schumann. And he's about nine years older than her. And he admired her playing. He was like... Hold on. So he's 18 and she's nine. Yeah. This is also going to get weird. Because there's a familiar last name in the group right now. There is. And it's Schumann. Or Schumann. <laughs> I'm saying it wrong. I read well, it that- Schumann because I'm so American. But it's Schumann, I think. Schum- yeah. I can- I'm trying to think of how a German person would pronounce it. Yeah. Schumann. I don't know. All the videos. <laughs> I was just me yelling it. Why did You're I do that? You're just yelling. Schumann. You're just yelling um, American words. <laughs> sorry. Schumann. Um, yeah, Schumann. Things are going to get... Even more creepy for this poor girl who's already been abused. <laughs> Clara, I just want to apologize off, on behalf of all 21st century women. Um, <laughs> this should not have you, been your life. <laughs> <laughs> you are too too precious to, for this to be happening to you. You are a gem. <laughs> um, okay. A diamond in the rough. <laughs> uh, as, a, as, as Jafar would say. <laughs> so a diamond a, in the rough. Diamond in the rough. <laughs> And it echoes. So many Aladdin references. Ooh, listen, two in one show. Okay. We can, let's aim for more. Okay. If, if we can find them. <laughs> if we can squeeze them in. Okay. So he actually goes to like his mom, because he's still 18. He goes to his mom and he's like, mom, I want to quit studying law and I want to study piano. Like, oh. I'm really impressed with this. It's just another person who wants to take her career. This nine-year-old is my muse. I, yeah. so, uh, a nine-year-old's really good at this. So I feel like I could do it. <laughs> He um, quits studying law and rents a room in her house from her dad to take piano lessons from her dad. Okay, Lolita. What a fucking weirdo. Calm down. What the hell? Robbie, Robbie, Robert. Get out of there. (laughs) Rob. Schumann, get out. Do you think he went by Bob? He's a Robert. Did he go by Bob? He went by Bobby. I think Bobby. Bobby. (laughs) With an I-E. Bobby. Bobby with an eye with a heart over it. <laughs> okay. So. Perfect. That's it. Um, so. 
when he moved in, he like comes in the first day and just sees Friedrich like screaming over his son playing the pian the violin. And he's just like yelling at him like, you think that type of playing is going to make me proud? Like, <laughs> blah, 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 like a Marine oh type dad. God. Yeah. And then Claire is just in the background playing the piano like a zombie, not even noticing the yellings going on. And he wrote in his diary that day, uh, am I among humans? Oh, my God. So he's there now with this crew living in the house with a nine-year-old he's obsessed <sighs> with. Very weird. I, uh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Free Clara. I don't know what else to <laughs> say. Free, She's free the, Clara. the Britney of <laughs> Germany of the 1800s. Hashtag Free Clara. So <laughs> after, or okay, now she's, after this, she's 11. And she, her dad, takes her on a concert tour of Europe for a year. Wow. And she's playing everywhere. Dad went with her and collected all the money for himself, obviously. He occasionally gave her a present or a small bit of spending money. But his daughter gave him the ability to travel Europe and, like, make connections with, like, all these people that he thought was status, right? And let's be clear. It's her playing, not him. So during the tour, she played famous pieces by famous musicians and they would like give her gifts they were like thank you for playing it so well you 11 year old i'm gonna give you this picture of me to take home oh my god and like then there's like a famous violinist that's like can i play with you please on stage like i would love to do that and like plays Uh, with her for a concert duo concerto thank you very much please very nice i want to be here very nice you know dave matthews band playing on stage (laughs) with her (laughs) the violin (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I can't. Uh, is that a violin? I think it's a violin. Does, isn't that what he plays? The electric violin? Dave Matthews? No, no, no. Somebody in the band. That's that noise that they always have. <laughs> That's so weird. The only thing I know about the Dave Matthews band is they just released the entire bowels of their tour. Sh- <laughs> Did you ever hear that story? <laughs> their tour Their buses. tour bus on a group of uh-huh. tourists. Uh-huh. And uh, what a just majestic story in American history. Fantastic. Thank you, David. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. David, I salute you. (laughs) On behalf of all Americans. (laughs) On behalf of all Americans, thank you for putting your poop out. Okay. So this tour at 11 years old changed her from being a child prodigy to a young adult female artist. So uh, she's 11. (laughs) What? She's our niece's age. She's God, 11. Our, <laughs> our collective niece. Our collective We have nieces. one. <laughs> we have so many. Um, I just want to say, I feel like this is reminding me of the time where Merlot or whatever her name was in America's Next Top Model was like, yeah, I'm 23, so I figured it's a little late for me to be starting modeling now, but I have to give it a try. And Tyra Banks was like, that's the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. Like, Tara Banks name? was Mervo an inspiration. She was on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me this week. And I was so excited. She was talking about when she she was like, I knew what I wanted to do with smize, but I just I had to think of the perfect word and the perfect spelling. So I stayed in a hotel up in a hotel room all night and just thought of like, OK, is it going to be S-M-I-Z-E, S-M-E-I-S-E? She was. She spent hours on it. It's Everyone, like me with Wanna Go Wednesday. It's <laughs> the infamous Wanna Go Wednesday. If you're on LinkedIn, you know. You know. Um, if you don't know, then you don't know. <laughs> um, it's just, it's 
perfect and I'm obsessed with Tyra Banks. Also, I want to say the show in New York we did, one of the people who was on the like show with us was a contestant on that show. Yeah, I know. It's pre- it's pretty upsetting that we're still sitting here. Uh, <laughs> it's also upsetting that I didn't know at the time so I couldn't grill her about Tyra Banks. Can you please tell me about Smize? Please tell me the secret of Smize. Were you on the Twiggy season or what? Mm, oh. I hope. God. Okay. Or the Giselle season. <laughs> Even better. Just dump Tom Brady. He's a buccaneer now. It's not even a thing. All right. Okay. So, Clara's 16 now. We're going to bump up from 11 to 16. Thank God. Seriously. And uh, one of Friedrich's students, of course, Robert Schumann, uh, falls in love with her. She's 16, which makes him 25. Okay. Uh huh. And they had known each other since she was nine, and she probably was definitely crushing on him, and he lived in her house. I don't know what happened. Something may have happened. I'm sounds to me like something happened. I don't want to put that on him because I don't for sure know, but this is definitely wild. Um, but we also know the actual physical date of their first kiss because of her insane diary entries. Ooh. So their first kiss was November 25th, 1835. Oh my gosh, two days after your birthday. So everyone knows, two days after my birthday, 200 <laughs> years ahead. <laughs> Just so we know. To put uh, it on the exact lunar calendar of my birth. Did um, uh, my first kiss get reincarnated from that? I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So Clara and Robert are sending like secret love letters back and forth to each other for like over a year because the dad is like, no way. Get the fuck out of my house. Um, And then he gets enough courage to actually come in and ask Friedrich for his daughter's hand in marriage. And Friedrich goes, no. (laughs) No. She's mine. You're an unsuccessful piano player. You think I'm going to give her to you? Absolutely not. He's, I mean, he's not giving up control of this girl. No. He's a lunatic. He's taking all of her money. He's using her to support the entire family right now. She's the most famous person in the house. Do you think I'd give her hand away? I don't think so. Not at all. Because that hand has given me a lot of money. Do you want to hear the best thing? Of course. Age 18. She performs in Vienna. <gasps> That's the same thing I have in your story. Uh, <laughs> you looked at me like, you better write this shit down. Pick up your pen. Pick up your pen. Okay, pick up my pen. <laughs> pick up your pen. Okay. Um, and a, and uh, it's on two ends. Two ends. I do. Mine's Oh, my goodness. I can't look at yours because I'll just, I'll get distracted. Okay. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Vienna. Yes. Tell me what happens there. Uh, she performs there. And I, she's great, like fucking always. But Clara Veek, still Veek at this point, performs a Beethoven piece. <gasps> and a poet from the area, a famous poet, writes a poem called Clara and Beethoven. Oh, my God. She is considered like as good as Beethoven. She is an incredible pianist. So she she performs all over for sold out crowds and like Chopin comes and like <gasps> hears her music and like wants to sit in the crowd and listen to her play like famous men that we know their names are obsessed with her. I love it. But nobody knows her goddamn name. She got Matilda did. Because she's not composing yet, right? Right. She will compose. Well, she is composing, but those things aren't famous yet. She's playing other. Well, yeah, because I feel like her dad is like, no, you don't compose. You play the famous composers. I honestly feel like this all stems from him. It is. Being like, no, I don't know how your stuff is going to go down. So let's just keep it to where we can make some fucking money. Yes, because he did make her write music. 
She started to compose at age 11. Okay. But she was not playing them in public yet. Okay. 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 So at 19, she decides she wants to do some concerts in Paris. And her dad's like, no, I'm not going to Paris. I didn't plan the trip. It's not my thing. I don't want to do Paris right now. We're not doing Paris. Um, And he wanted to be in charge. And he, women couldn't travel alone. And he wouldn't let her nanny go. So... They hire this woman chaperone to go along with her. And even Robert Schumann is like, hey, girl, you probably shouldn't go. But like, if you really need a break from your dad, like, go for it. She probably needed a break from Robert and Friedrich. Oh, my gosh. Everything. Stop it. Leave me alone. I just want to go play music in Paris. I want to go to Paris. Why can't I play music there? Leave me alone. So... Her dad was like, oh, yeah, I'll let her go. Guess what? You know what? She's going to fail out there alone. She's going to come back with her tail between her legs. But she had learned all the business tricks from her dad being a dick. Ah! So she gets there. She has a blast. And she's like, I'm staying in Paris. And I am managing myself. No more daddy manager. Ah! I'm done with you. Ah! I love it. And her dad is writing letters, like trying to convince her to come home. And Robert is like trying to get her to like do what he wants. And eventually Robert wins. Damn it. I want neither of them to win. We'll we'll get there. It happens. It happens. Okay. Okay. There is a good end to this. So Robert convinces her to sue her father for the right to marry him. Because the father actually had to give permission back then. It wasn't just like a, can I marry your daughter? It was like a yes. It, okay. It wasn't like a how it is now where it's kind of like a nice thing to yeah, do. Yeah, you should ask maybe. Yeah. yeah. You uh-huh. should ask if you really want to. It's like legal. Like, it, the, the dad is the legal chaperone, and then the husband becomes the legal chaperone. Because, again, oh, like we it's talk ownership. about all the time marriage was a form of like slavery Slavery. this is property i am taking your property like it is my property now like and she was expensive yeah because she was so famous yeah so every you know what i mean dowry out the roof they both wanted to keep her you know what i mean they're not gonna be like oh just marry somebody else because she has all the fucking money so can you imagine though being this person who is worth so much but if if she were to own herself, she'd be like not worth nothing, but like she can't even own herself. She that doesn't is even not, have her money. That is not a possibility for her at the time. It's like the money is not even in her brain. She just wants like to be able to go to fucking Paris. Yeah. She just wants to like live her life. And these there's these two men that are older than her telling her what to do all the fucking time. Oh, my God. And it is true, true mayhem. So. Um, she's really torn about suing her dad. She does it for the right to marry, but she's torn because like the Stockholm syndrome and because she also feels really sad because he really did spend every day training her how to play piano. And like, that's what she's making money for. So she lives with like this extreme guilt of like, well, now I'm fucking this man over who like spent his whole life dealing with me. So her dad, once she puts in the signs, the papers to sue him, her dad kicks her out and he lets her take nothing because he's like, oh, all this shit, you think it's yours? I own it. So she doesn't get to take her clothes or, like, stuff. Oh, my God. What a bitter, bitter man. I hate him. Everybody in this story is bitter. So (sighs) Clara actually goes to the one place she can, her mother's house. I totally even forgot she had a mom by her this mom, point, to be honest with you. Her mom, who is remarried with other kids, and she goes and lives there, and Robert supports her financially. Robert Schumann is like, go live with your mom. 
I'll support you. Then her dad at the first court hearing brings in 11 pages on Robert and how he was a bad person and a bad musician and he's bad (laughs) at composing and he's bad at writing music and he's socially inept and he can't speak or write clearly and he lied about his income and he can't support himself and he can't let Clara be with him and Robert's clearly arrogant and an alcoholic and Clara cannot, you know, hold down a household and because women who are artists do not clean houses. Wow. That was a lot. It was 11 pages of this shit that he presented to the court. This guy is the worst. Um, Friedrich, I go him. home. Go home, Friedrich Wieck. Please get the fuck out. I mean, I'm not a big fan of Schumann right now, but like. Also, he's at least trying to get her out of this obviously toxic situation. I don't know how to feel about all this. Okay. Yeah. Continue. These are two men that are just wrapped up in bullshit and she's just in the middle, which I feel so bad for her. So they do defend themselves, but they're so embarrassed by the case because everything he was saying became public knowledge and they're just like, this is really awful and it damaged feelings between the family and it damaged their pockets and legal fees. So then Robert sues her dad back for slander and for all Clara's money (gasps) that she would have made for the 10 years that she was out playing. So her dad starts to spread nasty rumors about her to everybody who would hire her because he was the one who was setting up all the shows. So he calls all the concert places and all the countries in Europe and all the cities and says, don't hire Clara. She's unprofessional. She'll show up late. She'll destroy your instruments. Uh, But she toured around Germany anyway, and people kept hiring her because they were like, I don't even give a shit about this man. Uh, And it, it renewed her confidence in herself. She was like, listen, I can play while he's giving rumors. And while my boyfriend is suing my dad and my dad suing my boyfriend, this is a big mess. So the court finally came to a decision ruling in the favor of the couple. They could get married and they're excited. But Clara, again, is deeply saddened with guilt about what's happening with her dad. But they get married the day before her 21st birthday, which would make him 30, which is not a big age gap when you think about it in that sense. But there might have been things happening earlier, which makes it troublesome. So Robert gave her for her wedding gift. Oh, my w- God. Wait for it. A diary. Just like her dad did. I hate these men so much. So that they could write in it together about their lives and accomplishments. And he could read it just like her dad did. I don't like that at let this girl breathe. It is creepy to say the least. I also like, I hope that she had some sort of friend throughout this because it doesn't sound like she did. But, you know, like some sort of like fellow person to be like, is this crazy? Am I being crazy? Or is it weird that I had a joint diary with my dad and now I have a joint diary with my husband? She gets there. Okay. It's another dude. Okay, but I just want more passive justice for Clara. This is terrible. I don't like this at all. I mean, she's like 21. And like, can you imagine getting married and you just sued your dad for your freedom? And then you come home to your wedding bed and there is the one thing that was holding you captive there for you to open as a gift. 
That is like the scene in a freaking Black Mirror episode. It really is. Of like, you think you escaped, but you haven't. It's the devil in different clothes. It's this, Yeah, that's exactly correct. And it's just, it tortures, it tortures me to think that he did that. So over their lives together, Clara was pregnant 10 times and had eight children oh my god i know Clara. she she i mean she just was good on the babies uh she worked just like her mom she worked a job she raised eight children she performed she wrote music she taught music she was really in charge of the family fi- finances and she was the breadwinner her husband never became famous playing piano um he didn't have as much talent as her uh and she was responsible really after he died for getting all his work published she also did all the mom things. She was the house cleaner and the cook and this and that. So whenever she went on tour to play piano, even if Robert was home, she had to hire a maid to take care of the kids because, like, he wasn't going to do it. What the fuck? But it's like she makes all the money. So yeah. why? You're not even really contributing. No. So at like- that point, it's just like you're just like, uh, like go to your yo- go to your hot yoga class. Get out of here. Nobody wants you. Even today, as we can see, like, there is a responsibility of, like, oh, my kids came home from school. Even if I worked all day, I have to pack the lunches for tomorrow. Yeah. I have to get their school clothes ready. I have to, like, and the sad thing is I'm an enabler because I say, like, oh, if daddy got your clothes together, they wouldn't match. But it's, like, that's not actually true. Like, he could fucking man up and make some clothes match. And he knows it, and I know it, but it's just, and that's, ding da da ding patriarchy hurts everyone it does it makes everybody worse it makes men worse it makes women worse and we can all just work on it together they also in her life um split one piano in their house which is super hard and she keeps writing in her diary like i'm making all the money i should be able to practice as many times a day as i want but like he he's a composer and he's like pretending to write music and 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 he he's taking up the piano. So she just, like, wants to use the piano, but her husband's using it to make nothing, and she's using it to make something, and she's not allowed to use the... My God, I hate this man. The piano. More than words can say. It's really bad. This is so infuriating. And now are you ready for this bullshit? Of this course. Is, this always. Is real Nancy Wake. Okay. <laughs> Clara famously saved her children during the May uprising in Dresden. In 1949. So on the evening of May 3rd, Rob- oh, 1949. What year 18, she- sorry. <laughs> <laughs> My God. I was like, what? We just jumped 100 years. Yeah, no, 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 no. 1849. Okay. 1849. This is 100 years before Nancy Wake is okay. there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Thank you for that. So on the evening of May 3rd, Robert and Clara hear the revolutionaries like out in the streets because the king of Germany at that time had not accepted the new German constitution. And now there's a big revolution in Germany. We talk about this shit all the time. Usually France or America, but this time Germany, most families left and hid out like in the County somewhere and revolutionary guards are going door to door, trying to look for men to fight. So they come and knock at their door and she's like, Oh, Robert's not home, but she knows she can't lie forever. Mm -hmm. So she and Robert and the oldest son who could also be drafted or to war, they flee in darkness in the middle of the night. But her other kids are like the Baltimore Colts. Yes. The other kids, (laughs) the Baltimore Colts, (laughs) the other kids are at home with the maid. 
So the next day she wakes up and she's like, hey, hey, honey. Hey, Bobby. Bobby with an IE. Bobby. Hey, Bobby. Uh, <laughs> Bobby and my son, like, hey, I'm really happy you're safe. And, like, you don't have to fight. But, like, my other kids are back there. And it's, like, a horrible, horrible place to be. So I'm going to go get them. So she walks into town through the brigade, defied a pack of armed men who confronted her, and then gets her kids from the maid and walks back out through the danger zone with her kids. Oh, 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 oh. And she was seven months pregnant <gasps> while she through did this. the danger zone. Exactly. Okay. Amazing. Highway through it. Highway seven months hell. pregnant. Oh, my God. Okay. It is massive that she does this. So then, unfortunately, we could have seen this coming. Four years into her marriage, Robert, Bobby, <laughs> has a mental breakdown. So they moved to Dresden because the doctors are like, oh, maybe he should be in Dresden. Like the air is cleaner there or some shit. And a um, mm. <laughs> <laughs> his mental Allie's illness. I'm not having it. <laughs> I'm not having it. The mental illness grew and he actually attempted to kill himself by jumping into the Rhine. Oh, that's not good. It isn't. And a fisherman pulls him out of the water and he's put in a clinic and the doctors believe he was dangerous, so he becomes unable to see Clara or the kids for two years. This is a real saga. And I want to say it's kind of wild. I mean, not that I think that people who are so depressed that they attempt suicide should be like locked away and not able to see their children. But there's no other way where Clara could have been like, I have the children and you're not allowed to see them. You know what I'm saying? Especially at this like, time in history. The, it, that's exactly it. The extreme situation for her to be like, okay, we are separate. I have the kids. There would have been no other circumstances besides him literally dying that would have, you know, like allotted for this situation. And this is what's so hard for me because it's like, I do think he was a man struggling with mental illness. Absolutely. But I also think that the patriarchy fucked him because they wouldn't let Clara see him, but they would let other people see him. And I think what? honestly it's because she was the breadwinner and yeah. he wanted to be a pianist, but she was better. Well, and also he wanted to be a pianist because of her. So he thought he could outdo her. He thought he could outdo her. And the fact of the matter is he fucking couldn't. And instead of being a normal person and being like, oh, OK, that's not my path. I should choose something else. I should go back to studying law. Yeah. It would be like if I was so pissed that I couldn't be as good of a chimney sweep as Casey. It's like, well, yeah, I'm not supposed to be a chimney sweep. That's like, not my what calling. The I just it's the thing that's sad is that he like he's a bad dude. He's yeah, a bad fucking dude. But it's also like he was made to believe that he had to be the breadwinner and had to be better than his wife at everything. And because of that, whatever his mental illness was, probably depression, was deeper. It, it was made deeper. It was like he felt unequipped to deal with society because his wife was better than him. And that's not fair. Yeah. No, it's not fair. I mean, he's a real hot soup of just like, it seems like anxiety, depression, societal pressures, like patriarchal pressures, and yeah. just like a lot of things are failing him. But 
And I don't know. It's so hard. It is. so hard. So she, while he goes away, now she's a single mom with like eight kids. Oh, my. Seven kids. Right. She has so many. So many. So she is supported by her close friends, which is nice because she has a lot of really famous, rich musician friends that are mostly male. Um, Not all, but. In her time traveling, she met this super famous violinist, the best violinist of the 19th century, um, Josef Schockum, and he performed with her over 238 times. They were like the Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire <gasps> of the stage, together performing always. Yes, just da 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 I she love it. She was backwards in flats. <laughs> <laughs> backwards on a piano bench (laughs) (laughs) i just turned around um so also johannes brahms which is a very famous german composer i know him exactly if you know his name it's because he's famous (laughs) (laughs) Allie, that was a ridiculous statement i hope you know that that's my favorite thing you've ever said actually i think (laughs) if if you know his name it's because he's famous Enron. So, (laughs) (laughs) hashtag history. You know what we're talking about. You know, you know. (laughs) Um. Okay. So, she meets this super famous composer, and he actually becomes friends with her. And like, her husband goes away, so he like moves into the house to help her take care of the kids and like pay bills, and like is super great with her. And like, he loves her, but she was married, so like, he's not going to cross that line, and he never crossed that line. But he has like a string of prostitutes on the side. But like, whoa, he is. They have a loving relationship in correspondence and letters. For the rest of their lives. It sounds like a Jack and Liz kind of situation. Yeah. Like 30 Rock. Yeah. Like, I'm here. You're here. We're going to figure this out together. We love each other. We're super close friends. I love your kids. You love my family. And, like, you're okay with me being a bad guy and kind of having these sex workers that right. I pay. Like, yeah, whatever. And, like, And it's beautiful. Like, it's, yeah. a, it's a really beautiful story because they supported each other. For the rest of their lives. And it's like, that's what she needed. She needed somebody to support her and not control her for once in her life. And this is the guy. And he's super famous. And he made a shit ton of money. And he deserves it. So good for you, man. Brahms? Yeah. Brahms. Yes. He's great. Johannes Brahms. Um, so if you want to listen to some unproblematic cr- classical music. Johannes I mean, Brahms. I don't know. He's probably problematic in other ways. But... I like that he's on Clara's side. He's on Clara's side and he's trying. And the thing is, women were not doing this then. Women only sang. When women performed, they were singers. They didn't play instruments. They didn't compose. Okay. And she is doing something that women don't do. Okay. So it is in the 1850s. She's traveling around Europe trying to support her family. She's like, I'm going to stop writing music because that doesn't make money. I'm just going to go. Her husband is in an institution, so he couldn't travel. So she gets invited to London, and she's like, well, I'll just go to London. It's fine. So she was displeased when she got to London at as what they thought practice was. She was like, oh, it's rehearsal. You're going to play through once? Oh, okay. (laughs) 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 One time? Uh, Let's do it 30. Oh, my God. Um, But she keeps going back. She likes it there, and she travels back and forth and plays in England for 15 years every summer, like keeps going back. So from the time she was 11, like we said earlier, she had composed between one and eight compositions a year. Mm. But when she became a wife and a single mother, she 
lost all of her creative energy. She was like, I can't do this. I have to make money. I have all I can do is play other people's things. But then when she met Johannes Brahms, all of her creative energy came back. So the year she met him, she wrote 16 pieces because she was inspired. And then he wrote pieces for her as well. But he dedicated them to both of the Schumanns (laughs) so Uh. that he wasn't being bad. After Uh. that, uh, after that, she only composed either transcriptions of Brahms' work or transcriptions of her husband's work because they were songwriters. She was more of like a performer and she would perform everybody's shit. So when Clara's 37, she sees Bobby again for the last time. And it's (gasps) just, it's okay. It's just a few days before his death. So his death. Oh my God. He's still in an institution. She hasn't seen him in two years and they call her and they're like, it's close to the end. Oh my God. Like, come on back. So she sees him like a a couple days like this is her husband. She expects he's going to get out at some point and he doesn't. So they think he may have died because of syphilis. And like at that point, because he was probably cheating or being a dick somewhere. But like because everyone was again riddled with syphilis and and trash. We haven't said that for a while, but riddled riddled with syphilis. syphilis. (laughs) (laughs) If we ever make a T-shirt, it's going to have that. (laughs) That'll be it. (laughs) I mean, listen, if I want a boy to not hit on me in the bar. (laughs) (laughs) Riddled with syphilis. (laughs) God, who am I? Okay. Riddled with syphilis. Okay. So, oh, I have to, I don't know where I am. (laughs) I'm so sorry. I just had to. Okay. Um, You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Okay. So, um, Back then, they used to treat syphilis with mercury. So he oh, pro- no, Mad Hatter's disease. <laughs> he probably died of mercury poisoning, which is pretty sad. But she went to see him right before he died. And like we said just a second ago, she didn't really compose after his death. Like, it was just like something she was done with. I think she closed that door because of her dad and her weird ass husband and like whatever. So during the 1870s and 80s, she performed regularly in Germany and then also performed in Austria, Hungary, Belgium, Belgium, (laughs) (laughs) Belgium, (laughs) Holland, Switzerland. That's your southern bell coming out. Uh, She She performed performed in Belgium, Belgium, honey. (laughs) Would you like some sweet tea? (laughs) (laughs) In 1874, <laughs> everybody from the house south hates me. Everyone, that's gonna, okay. Everyone hates us, anyways. It's fine. It's true. It's fine. I live to be hated. Um. <laughs> also, side note: apparently, they're making a Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, Utah. You're dying. I'm dying. I ha- I've never seen any. The only time I've ever seen a Housewives thing ever was when we were getting ready for my brother's wedding in a hotel room, mm. and I was like, "This show is." insane it's great um yeah and apparently there are mormons ex-mormons a mormon that turned muslim uh a mormon woman that was made to marry her grand stepfather so real housewives of theology real is what it is real housewives of salt lake city get <laughs> into it. it i can't wait get into it this is my new <laughs> it's my new muse get into it okay <laughs> continue <laughs> so She's playing all these places. 
And it's like for I mean for ten years she's playing all over Europe, but I mean, she's a, tickling all the ivory. She is. She's she's just <laughs> everywhere. Uh, she's playing Canon and D. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Heart <laughs> and soul. <laughs> Can you imagine? Can you imagine if you like what paid thousands of dollars for a ticket to see her play, and she's like, here it goes. Hot cross buns. <laughs> Hot cross buns. Have you any wool? Quick, um, sto- <laughs> Quick story. I taught my niece how to play hot cross buns on crab shells this past weekend. What is crab shells? What oh, is that? We were eating crabs and I got a mallet and we played hot cross buns. Fantastic. Uh, she is now it. going to be a superstar. A savant. A savant. <laughs> In 1874. She sustained an injury to her arm, actually, and it made her take a break for a year, which is like the first time in her entire life. She visits a doctor and the doctor like touches her arm and was like, oh, my God, you need to stop practicing so much. Like you you're only allowed to play piano one hour a day. Your for, tendons are too tight. Year. Like you might be able to pitch for the Cubs. No, but you cannot play piano. She right looks now. like Popeye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> It's what she looked like. So <laughs> she am what she am. I don't know what you want me to tell you. <laughs> Shush you. Shush you. <laughs> so, I mean, just in this time, she had the craziest life. Like her half brother from her mom's second marriage becomes this like successful conductor and like conducts a thing she does. And she's just like, oh, that's my half brother. And then she fell down the stairs and like really hurt her hand at one time. <laughs> Time. I don't. <laughs> I meant time. I meant time. Okay, Long Island. That was insane. <laughs> I was. <laughs> I was giving you my accent. Who do you think you are, Marissa Tomei? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> Honestly, everyone wishes. I wish. So she falls down. She really hurts her hand, and then like the next day, she just shows up, and they're like, "Oh, you have that Beethoven concert today," and she's like, "Okay." Hot <laughs> cross buns. <laughs> yeah, that's. I got saying. it. <laughs> I got it. Everybody, the classic <laughs> Beethoven piece. Hot cross buns. Listen, I'm sorry. Do you want me to play the piano or the <laughs> recorder? Because I can do both. Have you ever seen somebody in person play Beethoven? It is the most. I've seen it one time, and I have never been more impressed. Mm. It was something that I was like. You know, and I like to be impressed, so I should I should do that one time. <laughs> one time, just anybody is there a doctor anybody here? Anybody got a Beethoven? <laughs> anybody know? I got a grand piano. Hey, we got a Beethoven over here. We got. <laughs> I'm this so is, sorry, uh, everyone. <laughs> uh, this episode is officially off the rails, and I do apologize. It's all right. We'll bring okay. it back. Nancy Wake will get us. She'll ra- rail us She's in. Karate <laughs> chop us back into position. <laughs> okay. Ha. <laughs> Patreon doesn't deserve this. <laughs> they, <laughs> they're too good at people. You're being terrible. They're better than us. They're okay. way better than us. <laughs> so, okay. She plays the concert. It's great. Hurt hand. Everything's fine. She even plays under Felix Mendelssohn, who's conducting, who like Felix Mendelssohn's the other composer that we got suggested, but his sister, Fanny Mendelssohn, oh. who, oh, okay. who got, who got, Matilda which we'll get to that because I did research both of them and then was just like this is too much too much so much 
1878, Clara became the principal piano teacher at an institute in Frankfurt while continuing performing. And she said, okay, listen, I will teach at your school, but I have a couple of requests. I want to teach for one and a half hours a day. I want to teach from home. I want to take a four-month vacation. I want to be able to go to my performances in the winter. And also, I want to assist assistants, and I want them to be my daughters. And they said, <laughs> okay. I love that last part. And I want them to be my daughters. I don't care which daughters they are, Just but my daughters. Two of the eight. Two of the I, eight. I love that. A woman who knows what she wants. She saw, she saw people bossing her around her whole life. She was like, I know how to boss. I know how to boss and I'm going to boss anyone around me right now because I'm so sick of being bossed. This is incredible. Okay. She's great. Continue. Okay. So, uh, she was the only female faculty member at that school and they still caved. They were like, we'll give you all of that. We'll give you whatever you want. Just to teach here. And her fame actually attracted students from all over the world, the United States, England, and she's in Frankfurt. 68 of the students she taught ended up making careers in music. <gasps> which That's hard to do. It is. And like they made careers in it, which means how many people play the piano the way she did because that's how she taught them. You know what I mean? Like right. a piano teacher teacher is not a career in music because they just like do it on the side a lot of times. It's yeah. like, oh, I'll teach you in my living room, my next door neighbor. Like blah, blah, blah. Yeah. how many people do her techniques because of something that happened 200 years ago? It's incredible. So she worked there long enough that the school had to throw her two parties because they threw her a really big party when she was 50 years of stage anniversary. Like, you've been going on stage for 50 years. And then she still worked there 10 years Meaning later. Meaning you're like 55 because right, you were she a started baby at 11 when you started. <laughs> and then they were like, when it was her 60 year anniversary, they were like, ah, shit. Oh, it's your Another 60 year cake? anniversary. Okay. Oh, my God. Yeah. So I can't go to Costco again uh, to get another cake that <laughs> says play the notes. <laughs> <laughs> ah! <laughs> Don't ever let Allie play your music anniversary. Plan your music anniversary. <laughs> Does it say C -c -c Clara and the notes? <laughs> C -c -c Clara and the notes. <laughs> 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 That's, That's what it says. Um, That's what it says on the cake. Yeah, and nobody really knows, but. That was an Elton John cover of a Claire Schumann original. <laughs> I mean, it was. <laughs> Listen, when I buy a, a cake for your 30th birthday party, it's going to say K -K -K Katie and the notes. And <laughs> nobody's going to get it but two people. Two people. Two people. But thank God. They're <laughs> thank God for you. Um, okay. <laughs> so <laughs> she held the post at that school until 1892. And... Because of her, like, the piano playing techniques around the world changed. Like, everybody plays the piano the way she did. So she didn't only outlive her husband. She also outlived four of her eight children. Damn. One of them had died when they were a year old. And that oh, was way back okay. in the story. And I was just, like, too obsessed to talk about it. And then, so she has a daughter who dies. And she's taking care of her daughter's kids. So now she's got grandkids in the house. And then her son dies. She's taking care of her son kids so now she's got more grandkids in the house um and it's just like so much for her and then another one of her sons and this is why mental illness is a thing inherits her husband's oh, mental no. health issues and the way she describes it in her diary which she still kept was that her son was pretty much buried alive in an institution oh. he was just put away 
because he was quote unquote crazy and he didn't have the help he needed. That's I, I, I feel so sad when that happens to people in the past and like we can clearly see like, oh, my gosh, they just need proper help. Yeah. And you are just locking them in a cage. And which, which is only going to make it worse. W- and, and and it also has just painted our picture of what mental, you know, disabilities look like. Right. Of like, you just need to be put away. And it's like, no, people with like mental health issues need to be cared for and loved and respected. And because, talked like, to and, and treated well. To. Yeah. And it's like, don't lock them in a cage. Give them fucking treatment. Right. Like, it's... Mm. It's so sad. Invisible disabilities are the hardest ones to handle because people can't see it, so they don't feel as compassionate. They feel like it's made up, which is sad. So her daughter, Marie, was a great support and moved in to cook for her, and she also dissuaded her mom from burning all of the letters that Brahms had been sending her. Oh, my God. And all of the letters that they sent back and forth for 40 years ended up getting published in a book in the 1970s about Clara Schumann and Johannes Brahms wonderful love relationship it's incredible it's so cool the oldest film about Clara came out in 1944 and then there were several more one in 1947 one in 1956 one in 1983 and one in 2008 and I'm pretty sure they're all German films like there aren't like American translations she was even on the hundred, I'm going to say hundred dollar note, but the hundred yeah. note in West Germany. So really her picture, that famous portrait I talked about earlier, it's her on the hundred note for West Germany when That's it existed. So cool. And it is such a beautiful bill. And it's just a beautiful image of her on the bill. And um, Clara lived in a time that it was difficult for female concert pianists at all. They would only sing. Like we said earlier, they didn't play. They didn't compose. She was one of the first, if not the first, the first notable pianist to perform from memory. What? And people were very jealous of her. And they were like, oh, she's showing off. But now it's the standard. If you don't play from memory, you're not a pianist. And well, especially because you got to get that page flipper up there, baby. You do. I mean, and if you have a page flipper up there, I feel like. It arguably took you to the next level as a pianist because yes. you don't have to stop and think. Yeah. It's just there's no like here's the end of this page and now a next page. So she was the first person playing from memory. And Liszt was a famous pianist while he while she was alive and he turned the piano sideways so like people could see you play. Oh. So like she How was, was it turned before with it, them facing you? Yeah, like back no, back to you. No, yeah, face it. So you're facing So you're the looking at the crowd and you're just giving them a lot of eye work mm. and like mm-hmm. but really you're just mm-hmm. looking at the notes. So he turned it sideways and then she got rid of the music, which was like a big deal. Damn. So she's step 3. She is. And okay. then um There's many reviews from other performances at that time that are just like, she's the most true artist we've ever seen. She changed the way a standard concert was set up. So, you know, her playlist, like the way that she played songs and the order she put them in, they still do that today. (sighs) That's the order. You don't fuck it up. You do this at the beginning. You do a Beethoven in the middle. You do your song here. You do this song here. That's all Clara. She made that order and arguably her dad made that order, but she's the one who like kept pushing it forward and was like, this is how I'm going to play. And this is how you're going to play. And now everybody plays like this because I have the most famous students in the world and they all play like this. Um, She loved playing new music, but she also 
was one of the first people who loved playing old music. And the term classical music did not exist until Clara started playing old music. Stop. You used the term classical music earlier, and I almost told you. And then I was like, no, I'm going to wait. Like, what? She created the idea of, like, you don't just play the pop hits. <laughs> the, po- the pop hits. The pop hits of Brahms. You don't just do the American Top 40. Because they were what all contemporaries. You know what I mean? Like Chopin yeah. and all of them. They were alive. So you're playing pop hits, but then she would go and play, like, a super old piece of How music. How great thou art. A hymn. She's doing it. A hymn. She's doing and it. And she went and played them. So, um... So what you're telling me is that she not only revolutionized that's a word. Yep. How piano played was played, it. how concerts happened, but she also revolutionized the way that we even think of orchestral music, an entire genre, an entire genre. She redefined the genre. Yeah. It's a whole thing. That's amazing. Her last public concert was at the age of 71 in 1891 in Frankfurt and she continued teaching until her death late in life she became deaf and needed a wheelchair as well she had suffered with a stroke in March and passed away in May at 76 years old and was buried next to her late husband the woman who changed music changed music I had no idea incredible this is the thing I love about this show. It's like there are certain things that we just know as a fact, but we don't know that there is a cool ass person, woman behind it. Like I any any piano, any piano recital you've been to in your entire life, if it's an actual real classical performance is played in the order of which she played it. That's so cool. It was her. It wasn't these famous men that we all know their names. It was her who played that order. And everybody did it because of her. That's amazing. Well, She's incredible. Let's talk about them together. We need to talk about them together. It's incredible. We're going to talk about these two women, Nancy and Claire, together in a little segment we like to call Just the Two of Us. They both had strict parents. Come on. I mean... I feel like they just had these bad parents, this shit home life. And the thing was, Nancy was in a slightly better position being a little bit later that she could just be like, fuck you. I'm done with you. I'm literally running away. Yeah. We're like, Clara couldn't do that because not only was she in this like very particular world, but like there was no place for a, a woman to go at that point. But I just feel like they were both just these like fucking roses from concrete, like horrible family lives. They made the best that they could. They just wanted to live their lives. They they walked. The, the, what they did is they walked into rooms where people said women are allowed and they just said, Right, but I'm better than not only all the women, but also all of you. So get the fuck out of here because I am allowed. I don't care if there's heels. I don't care if there's a dress. I don't care if I play different from you. This is my space and get the fuck out of it. Well, and again, I think they both, like, I think Nancy learned a little bit earlier than Clara, but I think they both learned at some point that they were like, oh, I could just cut off toxic people from my life and then they're not a part of me anymore. And then like, 
I'm in control of my destiny and my fate. And like, that's okay. Like, I feel like, again, like Nancy's in a little better position to do that early on, but they both absolutely did that. You know, they just, they struck out on their own. They were like, I'm not listening to you anymore. Well, I'm going to do what I want. And for Nancy, it was New York City. Yeah. And for Clara, it was Paris. And they just said, I am going to leave. Yeah. I'm going to leave. I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to be an independent woman. Yeah. I-N-D-E-P-E-N-T. They, real life. Real life. Independent woman. Absolutely. And it was, I would say, I think it came more naturally to Nancy being independent. Well, and I, I wrote that too, like they both had a confidence in themselves, but I think Nancy was born with it. And I think Clara had to learn it. Well, I think she was in a cult. She definitely her was. Her whole life. And I think that it was one of those things where Clara, I think, kept getting told throughout her whole life, like, yes, you're good, but you're good because I told you you're good. And then she started to kind of look around and she was like, no, I'm just flat out good. So I actually don't need you to boss me. I don't need you to put thoughts in my head. I can actually do this on my own. Whereas Nancy from the get-go was like, I don't fucking need you. She was like, thank you, cool aunt, for giving me a gift of money so I can like go all the way to America. But like, I don't need anyone. I don't. I think that we would have still known Nancy Wake's name even without the people helping her. I think. Um, I think even better than need is they both looked at the men in their lives and said, "I don't owe you anything." Yes, but they both felt like deeply, especially Nancy, that they owed society something. Yes. So she's like, "Listen, I am. I went and I saw these Jews." Tortured and killed in the streets. And yeah. that's not okay. Yeah. And I would say, I mean, of the two, obviously, Nancy is the human rights activist. Yeah. She is like, I mean, Clara was really in it to survive. She was surviving till the end. Yeah, There's nothing was. else. She absolutely was. And, and I mean, Nancy was just saying like, hey, I don't owe you anything. I don't owe, like, she shows up in these boys. I just parachuted in. Like, I don't owe you anything. Here's some whiskey. We're going to fucking drink. Yeah. You're going to like me. Get over it. And I think maybe, I mean, maybe that's what's so interesting about Clara's connection with Johannes Brahms is that like for the first time she was like, you're as good as I am. Yeah. We don't, I don't owe you anything. I don't have to do anything for you. I don't have to have sex with you. Yeah. I don't have to like write in your diary that you're going to read. Like, I don't owe you anything. Just live near me and be my friend. Well, and I think that's why male sponsorship is so important. And he was like way younger than her. Really? Yeah. I mean, he was a oh, good shit. bit. He was a good bit younger than her, but it doesn't, I mean, at that point too, like age doesn't matter because obviously like a male that's two years old is more important than Clara, who's like 25 and right. play, selling out concerts in Vienna, unfortunately. But I feel like if you have that person, that like male in charge, who's like, oh, yeah, no, I see you and I don't want anything from you. I just want to encourage you, like especially at the time where she was in. It means so much. And I feel like women keep running into that in history of like, there's a lack 
of just male friendship. And then that has turned into this patriarchal idea of like that women and men can't be friends. Yeah. Like you're not allowed to have some sort of relationship right together because even one of my closest friends, your closest friend, Sean, like we'll like, we'll talk or say something about each other in line. And it, like, people will be like, Oh, you know, your second wifey. And I'm like, no, we've just been friends forever. Right. It's, and like, it's like, why can't you just accept this as friendship? It's weird people too. It's like people I wouldn't expect are like weirded out that we're friends. Yeah. And it's like skateboarder guys. And I'm like, why do you have a problem? Right. With this? Like, well, because the status quo has been for so long that like, men and women can't be friends. And I think it's so beautiful that she had this relationship with Brahms. That was like just a nice, pure friendship. And I think that Nancy had that with Henri and their relationship grew from her teasing him and her being like, you're a fucking guy and you're a dickhead. And like, nobody takes you seriously. seriously." And like her kind of riffing with him. And then it really did turn into this like, pure love but it doesn't have to yeah and i think that nancy could have gone her whole life with being just good friends with Henri, and it would have been okay and it did turn into something beautiful and like loving and that's great but like i also think that we need to give more space for those natural friendships like your daughter has a boy best friend and they are best friends and even though she's in elementary school she is constantly quizzed of like is he your boyfriend your boyfriend it's your boyfriend do you like him you think you're gonna go to prom together does he have a crush she's like we're in fourth grade i don't fucking know we just hang out and we talk about minecraft and like why can't we be friends yeah why can't i just be friends with him and it be okay and like not a thing like i don't know I didn't expect this to go into the realm of male-female friendship. I didn't either. But I also, I think it's really an important thing to point out in um, American history right now, how quickly uh, a country can change. Oh, my god! And I think it should be the the, probably the last thing we talk about before we toast. Because so Clara died in 1876. And I just looked it up. Hitler was born in 1889. What the? They are 23 years apart in the time continuum. 23 years. It is it is mayhem. What can happen when you have one controlling fucked up leader? Yeah. That convinces other people that what they're doing is just and honorable when it is actually bullshit. Well, and I think that you can see a microcosm of that in how Clara was treated her whole life. Yeah. Of like, she was basically in a very miniature cult of like, all she had was her father telling her what to do. And then eventually, all Germany had was Hitler telling them what to do and their greatest fears being like, yeah, that thing that like is kind of in the back of your head, you should be fucking afraid of that. And like the fact that you talked about people's eyes going blank, how like yeah. Nancy thought about that. It's like, this is not how life should be. People no. should not be in so much control that that's yeah. what happens. And they both like Clara experienced it and Nancy saw it and said, no more. Yeah. No more. I'm going to karate chop the shit out of you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Are you ready to toast? I'm ready to toast. Who would you like to toast this evening? So I just want to deal with anybody 
I want to toast anybody tonight who is dealing with a controlling figure in their lives. Mm. I think Clara really, you know, she went from one pair of controlling hands to another. And I just want to take a moment to think about women who are being controlled by someone, whether it's a person or addiction or it's something that you just can't let go of, like anger. Like, I think those things control you. And like, you can control yourself. Like, looking in the mirror can be torture sometimes. Yeah. Like, if you cannot let go of something and you, you can get help, you don't need to treat yourself like that. And you don't need to let other people treat you like that. Yeah. So I just... I think tonight is more of like a, everybody needs to take a wake up call of like I'm not going to stand on my scale and tell myself I hate myself every day Yeah. because that that scale doesn't control me. No. Like I, it's not worth it. So mm. think about what controls you and fix it. Oh, cheers. Cheers. What do you got? I'm going to toast Nancy and all the women who are more than they seem. The white mouse only existed because no one suspected this beautiful young woman was capable of defeating the Nazis. But she was and she did. And the world would look a lot different today if it wasn't for women like Nancy Wake, who were more than they seem. So cheers to Nancy. Cheers to Nance. <laughs> okay. All right. What after that very intense conversation, what are you enjoying in pop culture this week? You don't want to know. Okay. <laughs> Listen, I, mean, I, I do. I asked you and you have to tell me shit. I'm uh, <laughs> it's part of my job. So I am literally a show whore now. What I've been doing is just like watching a show and then like a little bit of it and then just leaving and watching a new <laughs> show because there's wow. so many shows. There are so many. It's and it's much. like a big step in my life <laughs> to be able to just be like, I'm done. Oh, I can't do that. So um, I know I, I'm working on it. So <laughs> uh, I want to tell everybody that Cobra Kai is exactly the best show. I've heard that it's so good. So Jake and I are Karate Kid fans. He's of a bigger course. fan than me. I've only seen it a couple times. It was like his whole childhood. Mr. Miyagi, bless you. Um, it's incredible. But <laughs> this show obviously is based around the boy that lost in Karate Kid, the blonde boy that lost all the same actors. And I thought, I'll watch an episode. It'll be cute. It's fine. It is a show making fun of the fact that it's an 80s movie, making fun of the fact that it's an 80s show. <laughs> it is so many layers of fun. I can't stop. I stayed up until like one in the morning watching like episode after episode of Cobra Kai, Katie. I'm an idiot. But like, here's the thing. Like I said, I wasn't a big fan. So like I wouldn't get all of the Karate Kid callbacks. So they just like show the scenes. <laughs> like from Thank the, God. From the movie. I cannot. I and the acting is good. The editing's good. They edit it like it's an 80s show. It is. <laughs> I was blown away blown I away it. i mean i'm all in all i do is I'm tell people in. to watch shows now you don't have to watch all these shows just the, no the one just that strikes ones... your fancy yes <laughs> okay you tell me because that's all listen cobra guy i mean mine is something you can do while watching cobra guy if you want oh shit <sighs> so the other day i was at staples getting ink and paper for my business and with a mask. I saw, of course, I was wearing a mask. <laughs> and I saw out of the corner of my eye 
a bag full of coin tubes. Uh-oh. I bought them. It was $4. And uh, I started rolling coins that <laughs> evening. And let me tell you, nothing melts the stress away than just rolling coins and drinking a glass of wine okay. in pure silence. Or if you want to watch TV or listen to something, that's totally fine. But it is the most satisfying thing because if you get the pre, if you get the packets, yeah, oh yeah, I've seen then them. you don't have to roll them. That was the thing that really bothered me when I was a child and I did this was that we had to like create. No, the you tube. have to have the tube. You have to have the tube intact because it is so satisfying to be like, okay, fifty pennies go in here, so I'm going to create five different columns of like ten pennies, mm-hmm. and then I just put them in to the tube. And there's and a coin shortage. There is a coin shortage. So everybody get your coins, roll them up, send them back, take them to the bank. <laughs> and after just an afternoon of coin rolling, I had $27. <laughs> Can you believe hero. it? I'm a hero. I'm saving the U.S. economy. So I would just like to say that if you are feeling stressed, Get some. uh, Everybody has change. Everybody has change. I don't care if you're Bill Gates or Mahatma Gandhi. Everybody (laughs) has change. Mahatma Gandhi's dead. (laughs) Laying around. And if you just want to put it in a tube, it is the most satisfying thing you will ever do. And you feel so accomplished because all of the things you just did are in neatly packed tubes right next to you. Mm. It feels so good i believe you i do I, I just had the best time and i wasn't expecting it so i had to share the good news everybody do it everybody do it roll your coins roll your coins roll your coins rate and review us with a buzzard oh, yeah. you know what you'll get you know what you're gonna Find get if you're on podcast do what you gotta do the offer still stands we're everywhere show us pictures of you rolling your coins i would absolutely love that um so yeah rate and review us Follow us on everything. Roll your coins. We love you. We love you so much. You're the best. Thank you, Alicia, for your amazing recommendation. And Miss Christy, as always. Oh, thank you, Miss Christy. We're obsessed with you. You're the best. Everybody's the best who recommends things to us. We will give you shout outs, obviously. And? And well-behaved women. <laughs> um, to put excessive amounts of sugar in their coffee. Yes, they do. And, and they rarely make history. Ah! Goodbye. <laughs> That was off the rail. You've been listening to Her Story on the Rocks. We are independently produced by 1986 Entertainment and proudly recorded in Baltimore, Maryland. If there's a woman in history you would like us to cover, you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com. You can also message us on Twitter or Instagram. We post all of our cocktail recipes on Tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us. See you next week. Bye.